Ooh-wee, ladies and gentlemen, what the fuck's happening, huh? I'm on the road in California next week. That's right. Bakersfield, Thursday night. I've been talking about going to Bakersfield forever. Finally, I'm going. Uh, Fox Theater, Thursday night, two shows with the young and powerful Tony Hinchcliffe, the Golden Pony. Uh, first show sold out, some tickets available for the second show. Then Fresno, Friday night, uh, with also the Golden Pony, Tony Hinchcliffe. First show sold out in Fresno, second show, some tickets available. Then Saturday night, Santa Barbara, the Arlington Theater, uh, JoeRogan.net forward slash tour for all your ticket needs. All right. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Square Cash. Square Cash is a simple and easy way for you to send and receive money with friends and family. And now you can even buy and sell Bitcoin instantly with the Cash app, too. This is a fucking amazing new thing. Because a lot of people have been like, oh, I buy Bitcoin. It's so confusing. Well, if you've ever been curious about crypto, cryptocurrencies, check it out. Anyone can sign up and buy instantly within minutes. And you don't have to buy an entire Bitcoin. You could buy as little as a dollar if you're on the fence, like many. You're like, hmm, what is this? Hmm. But you're like, hmm, what if I just buy a dollar's worth? And then it blows up. And I'm rich as fuck. Plus, most buys and sells happen in seconds. You keep your funds right in the app or cash out directly to your bank account at any time. It could not be simpler. And of course, when you download the Cash app, $5 goes to you and $5 goes to our good friend Justin Wren's Fight for the Forgotten Charity. It is a beautiful, beautiful deal. I'm very pleased to announce through the Cash app, we've already raised thousands of dollars to help build wells in the Congo. Uh, If you're curious about Justin's Fight for the Forgotten charity, please look it up online. It's an amazing charity. He's a fucking beautiful human being and a badass fighter. Fights for Bellator, one of the top heavyweights. So again, download the Cash app for free on the App Store or Google Play and use the code word Joe Rogan. That's one word, Joe Rogan. Five bucks for you. Five bucks to fight for the forgotten. It's awesome. And it's an awesome application and such an easy way for you to send money. Square Cash. Woo! And it's for iOS or Android. Uh, we are also brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron, ladies and gentlemen, is the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S. And I'm a big fan of Blue Apron. I love what they do. I love the quality of their food. And this is what they do. They send you a cooler inside that cooler is all of the ingredients perfectly portioned uh, with step-by-step photographic instructions for you to make yummy meals in under 45 minutes without a trip to the grocery store. And I'm talking really delicious, awesome, interesting meals. Let's look up this month's monthly recipes. How about Spicy chicken and stir-fried vegetables with jasmine rice. Strip steak and potatoes with spicy maple collard greens. Soy glazed Korean rice cakes with broccoli and soft-boiled eggs. Come on, folks. This is delicious shit. There's a lot of it, too. There's a lot of different cool cool ones. Um, You can't go wrong. And what they do is they deliver this stuff. And they deliver you 12, they have offer rather, 12 new recipes per week. And customers can pick two, three, or four recipes 
based on whatever fits your schedule. The menu changes every week, and it's based on what's in season and is designed by Blue Apron's in-house culinary team. Woo! I love it. I'm a big fan. And the food's delicious. It's really interesting stuff. Uh, and, you, you know, you get together, you cook, hang out with each other. They also sell only non-GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. It's really good food, folks, and it's easy to do. Blue Apron is treating listeners of this podcast to $30 off your first order when you visit blueapron.com forward slash Rogan. So check out this week's menu and get your first 30 bucks off at blueapron.com forward slash Rogan. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And we're also brought to you by Onnit. O-N-N-I-T. Go there and find out what the fuck we're all about because Onnit is a total human optimization company. What we set out to do when we created On It many moons ago was put together a one-stop shop for improving human potential, whether it is through strength and conditioning equipment like our kettlebells, and we have a full line of uh, strength and conditioning equipment and kettlebells, but also we have these artistic ones. We have um, these Primal bells, which are the great apes. We have chimpanzees, howler monkey, orangutan, gorilla, and a Bigfoot one, which is probably the reason why I have tendonitis. Fucking 90 pounds. I'm a meathead. I should use the lighter one, but I'm fucking stupid. Uh, But you don't have to be stupid. You could use one that's smart, like the Iron Man kettlebell. I think that one's only 40 pounds. 45? Hmm. How much is that weigh? 40. 40 pounds. But it's dope. Uh, we also have Star Wars ones. Don, 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 da, da. Are you serious, bro? Yes, I'm fucking serious, man. Serious. We have legend kettlebells, which are uh, harpy. We have a cyclops, werewolf. We have a full line of zombie kettlebells. Come on, son. Got all kinds of cool shit. We got a. Uh, Stormtrooper kettlebell, Boba Fett kettlebell, and a motherfucking Darth Vader. Woo! We also have battle ropes, steel clubs, steel maces. We sell a line of fantastic supplements, including this shit right here. That's my Alpha Brain Instant. I don't do anything without that. I fucking believe in that with every fiber of my being, and it's backed by not one, but two double-blind, placebo-controlled studies from the Boston Center for Memory. Now, I've talked about this many times on the podcast. Um, I am a big fan of nootropics in general, not just Alpha Brain, but Alpha, but Alpha Brain to me is the best one. I've tried a bunch of different ones. I like a lot of them. But what Alpha Brain is, is a bunch of different ingredients that work synergistically. Now, a lot of this was based on anecdotal evidence and it was, you know, based on personal experience, but we had to do these two double-blind, placebo-controlled studies from the Boston Center for Memory. And when we did those, what we found is that there's an increase in verbal memory, uh, there's an increase in reaction, there's, there's, the, there's a bunch of different things. Verbal memory, uh, let me see, I got it right here in front of you so I can read you the actual. Uh, processing speed, peak alpha flow state, and all of the study uh, results are available online. You can go and check it out. Uh, we also have uh, a study in Shroom Tech Sport. Shroom Tech is another one that I use all the time, particularly now uh, that I'm doing a lot of hill running. I notice a big difference between when I take Shroom Tech Sport and when I don't. 
Um, it is a cordyceps mushroom supplement with uh, B12 and adaptogens, and it's just amazing supplement for endurance. And it feels like, to me, that it gives me an extra gear when I'm doing very difficult, hard workouts. All of our supplements have a 100% money-back guarantee. The reason why we can offer that is because this stuff is the shit. I love everything that we sell, and we've put together the stuff that we sell only based on what we found to be effective and what's proven to be effective. You don't have to return it to get your money back. You just say it sucks. Say you don't like it. Say whatever the fuck you want to say, and uh, you get all your money back. We were trying... We're trying to develop a relationship with people where we sell them amazing things. We don't want anybody to feel bad about it. We also have a free section of the site that's one of the best parts of Onnit, and it's the Online Academy. If you go there, you are treated to hundreds of articles, hundreds of pages, in fact, uh, 197 pages of articles on diet, on kinesiology, on strength and conditioning workouts, on yoga, Q&As with interesting people, motivational articles, all sorts of groovy shit. Um, and that's all free. We also have an Audit Academy, an actual academy that's in Austin, Texas, a state-of-the-art, fantastic gym with martial arts instruction as well from 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu and Bang Muay Thai. So, go there. Go to Onnit.com, use the code word ROGAN, and you will save 10% off any and all supplements. My guest today is one of my all-time favorite MMA fighters. This dude is a legit fucking savage and just a, just a goddamn intelligent caveman. I love watching him fight, and I really enjoy talking to him and getting to understand his process. He is uh, a deceptively intelligent guy, and I mean that for all good reasons, just because he's such a savage, but uh, a good dude, too. I really enjoy talking to him. So please give it up for the immortal Matt Brown. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Boom, and we're live. What's up, brother? How are you? Very, very good. Thanks for doing this, man. I'm very excited to have you yeah. in here. I'm honored to be here, man. I was just thinking about this the other day, actually. I was like, the fucking people that have been on the show, man. <laughs> yeah, I think about it sometimes, yeah. too. Freaks me out. Yeah. Sam Harris, James Hetfield. Uh, man. I, yeah, I was thinking about all the people, man. I was like, how do I compete with these guys? Just be Matt Brown. I know. What are you talking about, man? I know. I mean, I could beat all their asses, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, in certain situations, that's all that counts. <laughs> <laughs> the situations that I thrive in. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you were retired, and now you're not. Now you just signed to fight Carlos Condit? You got it. Damn, that's a good fight. I like that. Yeah. I think Carlos needed to fight back, too. That fight with Neil Magny, he looked like he was suffering through some ring rust. Looked yeah, a man. Bit you, timing. You know, I've talked to a lot of people about that because that's the first thing that always comes up, right, is how he came back and looked in that fight. And I've trained with Neil a lot, man. I'll tell you, Neil can shut a fucking game down right away. Yeah. You know, He's very good. Yeah, very we underrated. can't take away from yeah. Neil, man. Um, Carlos didn't seem to show any sense of urgency either, though. So, you know, I think it's both sides. But uh, I think he's also going to be looking for redemption with me. Yeah, I think, I think it, so, too. Yeah, he wanted to come back right away, actually. They actually asked me to fight. It was, would have been like six weeks' notice. What's the longest you've ever taken off? Uh, after I fought Cowboy, got knocked the fuck out, uh, and took a year off and fought Diego. So what is it like coming back after a year? 
it felt natural to me personally. To you, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's different for different, different people, right? Yeah. yeah. Someone was talking to me about this the other day, ring rust, and I was like, you know, everybody's different, man. Every single person is going to react a little differently, and I think also when you have someone, uh, you know, John Danaher was talking about like the different types of fighters, right? The, I think he just grouped three different types of fighters, uh, like a violence guy, a tactical guy, and something else. Well, I think it's going to. I think there's more types of fighters than what he went through, but there's. Um, I think it's going to affect every single type of person differently. You know? Yeah, and, and I fought, like I fought, for instance, like I fought a much more tactical fight against Diego. It wasn't. I mean, you could you could easily go in with Diego and just go to fucking war with him, right? I mean, Gilbert Melendez style. Exactly. Yeah. He's totally down for that. Like oh, yeah. that's what Diego is. You know, he will wake right up and go for that, right? Yeah. I was like, man, I'm better than him. Let's just be tactical. And uh, I think that was part of why it helped. Now, now I think uh, someone that that goes in with a more violent style, uh, which I've done many times in my life, uh, I think that's a, a bit more complicated because. There's a lot more timing and reaction in that, whereas the strategy, you have a very clear path to victory. You know exactly what you got to do. It's just, you're just going in there and just um, you know, connecting the dots when you get in there. And staying on the plan. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Now, when yeah. you get a guy like Diego, though, that temptation has got to be always there, right? Because he's so willing. Well, if uh, if it's necessary, because you love that kind of fighting, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. one of the reasons why you're so loved. Mm -hmm. Like, there's Thanks. never been a Matt Brown fight ever that's boring. There's a lot of guys that have, because of styles, because of whatever, they've had fights that weren't very crowd pleasing. Mm -hmm. But your style has always been do or die, seek and destroy. That's one of the reasons yeah. why people love you. Yeah, well, I mean that that just goes back to my mentality of why I'm fighting to start with, right? It's not really about just winning. I think that's sort of a Western culture thing, sort of an American thing. Like, I, I kind of go back to the original pride, and it's like, look, just fight, man. You know, this is a fun thing. This is a, a badass thing we're doing. This is an amazing thing. Go in there and fight. Test yourself, the Bushido spirit, things like that. And not it doesn't have to be just win at all costs. You know, this right. is... Uh, you know, to me, it waters down the sport. I mean, that's not what combat is about. So, you know, it's not me. Well, I mean, that's what makes it interesting is that there are different styles. There's people that have safety first styles mm -hmm. where they're just fighting to win. And then there's other people like yourself that just whatever's inside you that comes out. You know, I always said this, like there's certain dudes like uh, because of your history, because of uh, – I mean, you had an overdose where you literally died. And this is the same with Court McGee. Uh, he had the same situation yeah. happen to him. I always said I that to him about it, yeah. dudes that have gone to the other side are fucking terrifying inside the cage. <laughs> there's like, there's, there's a certain thing. I don't know if it's just coincidentally that both of you guys have that mindset. or was, Let's forget about even Court, but you have this mindset. And I've always said, I wonder if there's a correlation between such extreme lows in your life where you bottomed out so hard literally your body had shut down and you were ready to you were ready to pass on the doctor saved you and you've got a mindset going into that cage that's just it's just another notch more intense than most people certainly and that, that's uh you know, to be honest, that's something I've sort of struggled with a lot too because it wasn't actually that specific moment um, the overdose that kind of affected me the way it did. It was more uh, a long-term life of, uh, 
Well, I would say I've just been an angry person, honestly, like just since I grew up. So it was all about channeling that anger. Um, a lot of fighters like that, right? I think so. I think it's one of the beauties of martial arts, right? That helps you channel that? Yeah. I mean, we all have to find an outlet. Um, I, I didn't discover martial arts uh, until, what, 22, 23, 21, 22, something like that. And, uh, you know, so before my outlet was drugs and alcohol. You know, that was my my way to say fuck everybody, right? And, uh, you know, it just went too far. But the, like I said, you know, when it is expressed in the cage, that's more of a, a long-term uh, thing. Growing up, uh, an angry person, and then, um, you know, I always give a lot of credit to uh, Jamie Josta, hate breed, you know, uh, that's who I walk out to nowadays. It's a dream come true to have a walkout song by them. And uh, um, that was like the first time that I was able to find a positive outlet for that energy. You know, I didn't know what, what heavy metal was growing up. You know what I mean? I, I grew up in a small farm town and uh, I didn't know what that was. But heavy metal gave me an outlet and Hatebreed was the first one that gave me a positive outlet. Before it was like, it was negative. Pantera, um, Slayer, like stuff like this. It's all negativity, you know. So this rage is is coming out in a negative sense and gets expressed through drugs, alcohol, hanging with the wrong people, things like that. And then there's a turning point where I'm like, man, this can be a positive thing, and I can use this energy directed towards something positive. What were you angry about growing up? Ah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, man, that, that goes deep, man, because, uh, you know, I grew up in a very, very, very small town, 200 people population. I didn't see, uh, a skyscraper until I was, I mean, like up in person, like we drove by it in Dayton, Ohio, which is in a big town in itself. Um, until I was like over 18 years old, you know? So I was, just, I always felt like there was so much more out there for me. And I was kind of, I grew up in a machine shop. My dad was a machinist, so I was doing that from like five years old. I was sweeping the fucking floor. And I was like, I was like, man, this is not what I'm meant to be. Like, I'm supposed to be something great. But, uh, but everybody around me is like, no, this is what you do. You live in this little town and you do, you follow the rules. You're going to be a machinist or a farmer or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, that shit pissed me off, you know, and I never really found my niche. And so I was homeschooled actually for, I think, two years in uh, junior high. So I think that was sort of actually the start because I went back to school. And when I went back to school, I was now the outsider. I didn't have any friends. Um, and then going up, uh, all of a sudden I'm in high school and I have no friends. I have no, uh, I, I can't get laid for shit. Uh, I think that's what causes anger in a lot of people in the world, right? Oh, yeah, and depression. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, it's a big yeah. factor. Yeah, and, and at the exact same time, I'm starting to experiment with uh, drugs and alcohol. So you put the two together, you know, um, I was supposed to be um, the prodigal son, you know what I mean? Like, I was very intelligent. I was, um, you know, I, like, I was doing things by the time I was 15 years old in the machine shop that, that guy's... You know, they've been working for my father for 10, 15 years, couldn't do. You know what I mean? So I was sort of this prodigal son. I was good at athletics and everything. Had no problem with all that stuff. So I think uh, it was just sort of a backlash, you know? And then 
I let that anger get the best of me. So now when you were doing drugs and alcohol, what were the drugs? Like, what was the drug that caused you to overdose? Heroin. Ooh. An injection, yeah. Damn, that's deep. When you're yeah. injecting it, that's that's when you're all in, baby. Yeah, and you know, I didn't actually do it a whole lot. It's kind of the funny thing. A lot of people thought that I was addicted to heroin, and I wasn't. That I think that was probably the fifth time that I did it. Maybe six, something like that. I didn't count, but... Um, you know, that was sort of my... Fuck, that was my step into the dark side, mm. you know, and it, and a blessing and a curse, man. You know, it immediately I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's what can happen, right? right. It's the step back, uh, and you know, I was very naive, very uh, man. I was a fool, really, like because what I did. I remember leaving the uh, uh, the hospital. I was like, okay, well, I'm never doing heroin again, but let's go do some coke. <laughs> 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 right? So I, I was just a dummy, man. Wow. And, How old and, were you? Um, I think I was 21, 22. Uh, one of those. Uh, I mean, it was like 15 years ago. I, there's a lot of stuff. I, I, I was actually kind of thinking about, like, uh, so again, you know, uh, on this podcast, I was like, uh, I was like you know, it's probably going to come up on it. It's a pretty uh, intense story. Um, I was like, damn, I can't remember all the details of that shit. <laughs> it was like a long time ago. But anyway, yeah, so I was like 21, 22, and um, it wasn't too much long later. You know, I lived with this girl, and, it, you know, she was a drug addict too, and she had a couple kids. And it was like, I was like, all right, well, now I got a place to live. Like, let's get fucked up. <laughs> mm. You know, and, and it was, uh, I never did. Um, Heroin again after that, obviously. Um, I think I did oxys though, Percocet stuff like that. Oxys which, is basically the same thing, right? Yeah, which which form. I mean I didn't realize it at the at the time. But really, my drug of choice was meth back in that day. That was what I really liked. That was actually what I was addicted to at one point, and I ended up going to jail, and that was what got me uh, out of addiction. I didn't realize I was addicted until I was in jail. So what made you realize it when you were in jail? I just, uh, you know, just couldn't stop thinking about it and just wanted it and just, I mean, I didn't get, have like, like, um, like cold sweats or anything. I don't think that happens with uppers, but, um, I mean, I was just, you know, like, like couldn't stop thinking about it, man. I was like, dude, like just, a lot of that anger was coming out. I was just like, God, like, what the fuck? Like, I wanted to fight everybody. I was like, somebody give me something, you know? And wow. Yeah, it was just it was a really terrible experience, but probably only lasted three, four days. Not even, maybe not even that. And then you came out of it. Yeah, I mean, I was just like able to accept my fate and, and deal with it. What does it feel like to be on meth? Uh, you ever take Adderall? No. <laughs> I've never taken an Adderall? No. Um, Pretty similar to Adderall, right? Yeah, it's like Adderall. I mean, that's the closest I would say. Um, I mean, you're high, um, but you don't have. I mean, it says euphoria more than anything. Just a excuse me, just an extreme sense of euphoria. Just everything's beautiful, but then, man, as soon as you start to lose that a little bit, you just itch for it so bad, man, so bad. Like you just want it again. You 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 don't want to sleep. You like your teeth would be grinding. You're just like like, ugh. like you you're just tensing up all your muscles. Like 
God, well, I got to get more of that, you know? <laughs> now, were you working out at all back then? No. Nothing. No. Well, I t- well, not working out like I should be. So, again, I, I was angry. A lot of times, like, I'd be at a party. This was a, a common thing. I'd, I'd be at, like, a party or just doing drugs, whatever. And I'd just start getting, look at everybody, like, I fucking don't like none of you. And I would just walk <laughs> outside, and, and I would go for a run. I'd run five, six miles, come back, and be like, all right, give me another line or whatever. Wow. Yeah, um, you would and, run and then come back to the yeah, party. Yeah, and then sometimes I would I would fight people. You know that was common, uh, very very common. If you call that working out, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and we like w- this particular time in my life, I was living in a, a little town called Jamestown, Ohio, and I had this buddy. Um, he was friend. His cousin, well, his cousin was a fighter, and this was kind of my first. Uh, uh, a foray into mixed martial arts our first uh experience watching it and everything and uh they would train in the grass in the backyard you know we i remember watching uh ken shamrock dvds or vhs's back then um leg locks we'd go on the living room floor like just be shit face drunk and i'm lucky i didn't tear my acl or anything we're like oh this is what he's doing this is how you do it heel just, hooks yeah heel hooks and <laughs> I mean, I don't remember all the techniques, but I remember it was like, you know, pancreation stuff, right? right. And we'd just be laying there, and it, and it was always a, a thought of like, like, dude, this is fucking awesome, man. Like, I could beat Tank Abbott. Like, what are you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we would joke about it, man. We would say, I remember specifically sitting there and be like, like, dude, like, you know, we're going to get you a fight in, uh, you know, the local Joe Schmo show, and then, uh, you know, we're going to get you up, and you're going to go to a Pride, and then you're going to go to the UFC, I was like, oh, cool. Hell yeah, let's do it. And that was, you know, it was like a joke, kind of, but that, like, that was what was in my head. That's, so that that's was what we were going to do. Introduction to martial arts. Yeah. So, what was your first real formal training? Like, what, what gym did you first train at? So, I fought before I trained. Get the fuck out yeah. of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, actually, this, this guy that was, uh, um, he was supposed to go fight Wes Sims. And uh, his name was Fat Joe, is what we called him. He was supposed to go fight Wet Sims, Fat Sims, West Sims that day. And I said, "Yeah, let's go, man. I want to go with you. I want to see this shit up close, right?" And so we go there, and uh, I'm I'm doing a bunch of coke on the way, and you know, to me, it's just gonna be a party. Like I'm just gonna watch my dude fight. I get there, and I, uh, you know, there's a, he signs up on the table, and I was like, I was like, dude, what is that? How you know that's all you got to do? He's like, yeah. He's like, you just pay thirty bucks and you come fight. I said, man, maybe I should do that. And then the, the guy, <laughs> and I'm I'm looking inside and I see the uh, you know people sitting around smoking cigars it's like you see on a movie. People smoke cigars. You see bets being made and stuff. And and uh, the guy goes, man, you want to fight the champion? Like nobody wants to fight him. And I was like, fuck yeah, man, I'll fight him. Are you kidding me? So I literally went across the street. There's a sporting goods store across the street or down the street or something. Went and bought a mouthpiece come back uh there's a restaurant across the street boiled the mouthpiece at the restaurant use that microwave come back and then uh, uh and then we're at the fighters meeting so the fighters meeting back then was a lot different so there wasn't way in it was like you and you you guys look about the same size uh you guys doing kickboxing okay you guys fight right so that's how the way it worked out and i'm sitting there and they're like okay you're the champion you're fighting him and i was like oh shit all right fuck this motherfucker right and uh <laughs> You know, so I'm sitting by the station. This guy, he taught me how to do a jab. He's like, man, he's like, all you got to do to beat this guy, just jab him. He's like, you see this? Just throw this jab. 
I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do that. And I uh, went out there, and I beat the guy. So he actually what? quit. Yeah, he actually quit, you know. So he was a tough man champion is what he was. And uh, I actually threw a jab, punched him in the face, and he went to shoot uh, on me. I did, you know, a, a playground guillotine choke, and he just quit. I don't think I actually had the choke in. I don't – I highly doubt. You did know, he tap? He tapped out saying that his calf cramped up. <laughs> I have no idea, you know, like <laughs> wow. what, what really happened. I mean, I, I certainly didn't know a guillotine choke. I didn't even know the name of it. So uh, anyway, later that night, I was like, dude, like your fight didn't go very long. You want to fight again? I said, yeah, whatever, man. And they said, well, this guy, you know, he's going pro in his next boxing match. You're a kickboxer. Let's fight him. I said, all right, I'll fuck him up, right? I'll go do it. <laughs> This dude beat the shit out of me. So that was actually the first. The nice thing about that was it actually made me realize how tough I am. That was the saving grace. I, I mean, he just, you know, just pieced me up. Just one punch after another. You know, I'm just eating punch after punch. And then, uh, yeah, that was it. I said, man, I got to do this shit. And then, so my second fight, uh, I, you know, I didn't think I still yet needed to train. Uh, my second fight... I met a guy at a gym. So, you know, I did go to this gym. It was a Japanese jiu-jitsu gym. And he goes, and, and he goes, hey, man, you want to fight in like two weeks in Muay Thai? Hell yeah, right? Um, so for two weeks, you know, I hit the bag probably for five minutes at a time, whatever, or something. Um, I go to the fight, and, uh, man, I, <laughs> this is the worst part. So I get in there. The first thing the guy does comes in, shoots on me, takes me down. We're in big gloves. Uh, shin pads and all this takes me down I'll get up look at the record what the fuck he's taking me down we can't do this Muay Thai right uh, he's like fight you know comes in takes me down again I was like what the fuck man so I was like okay so we're fucking wrestling right so I come out and get in sort of a wrestling stance drop my hands fucking kicks me in my head <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so uh, we'll come find out later it's San Shao not oh. Muay Thai. Scott Sheely's show. What, I, used to, I, I used to work with him a lot. San Shao, for people who don't know, was uh, kickboxing with takedowns. Yep. Uh, I cornered Kung Maurice Lee. Smith back in the day when Maurice was doing that once. Ah, okay. Yeah, in Burbank, I think it was. It was weird. It was confusing. It's like, okay. I mean, it's interesting, I guess. Mm. I mean, it's probably a good skill set to learn. Learn how to do takedowns and throws with... With kickboxing, but then you just let the guy up, which is just weird. You didn't get it, huh? It was weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it still goes on. They sand off. Yeah. I, I think it's an amazing sport. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's Kung a, Lee. A, a lot of times there's a lot like throws in Muay Thai because, you, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of trips and throws in Muay Thai. Except, that, except you get points for the, right. the throws. Yeah. 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 Up to five. Yeah. Another variation. Yeah. Yeah, I so, think if like their feet go above their head, it's five points. So when did you get serious? So you did this. So it was you did right two after events. that because I mean he beat the shit out of me. Um, I like I remember walking out of there and people were looking at me like, "Damn, how'd you survive that, bro?" I mean, and like people were actually asking me that, like, "Dude, how did you survive that shit?" I'm like I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I had to, and uh, I had to go to work that night. I was like working third shift. <laughs> I had to oh, go to wow. work right after. Everybody was looking at me at work. Like, dude, you got like two black eyes. Like, if anyway, um, that was when I, I uh, said to myself, you know, I want to try this, uh, and you know, I think uh, you know this is a, a something I really enjoy, and I want to go for it. Um, so I met this guy. Um, uh, his name was Eli Ayers, and he was fighting in King of the Cage, one of the toughest guys I've ever met, and then a guy Braden Workman and. Uh, they were training for, it was a big show there in Columbus. Um, 
God, I can't remember the name of the show, but I think like Lawler fought on it, like a bunch of Militich guys, Tim Sylvia. You know the name if I say it, I can't remember. But anyway, um, yeah, and then, you know, then I really got this shit kicked out of me when I got in the gym. You know, then I realized like, you know, what a real beating was. And uh, yeah, it just went from there, man, because I, I, I just said I never looked back and I, I thought, man, you know, I want to change my life. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I wasn't never actually a, uh, the type of person that, that fit in with the drug user scene, right? Like that mm-hmm. wasn't me. It was just, a, again, an expression of anger and these things that, um, you know, in my childhood just kind of, you know, came out the wrong way, right? So it wasn't really uh, like I fit in there. Right. Um, so at this point, like I'm, I'm really not fitting in anywhere. And this was a, a, a quote that I remember where I said, stop trying to find yourself and start to define yourself. And, and I felt like the whole time I was trying to find myself. And I said, you know, I'm going a, I'm to a define who the fuck I am. I'm going to say this is what I am and this is what I do. I'm a fighter. Fuck it. Let's go. It's do or die. Um, I've, I've been in jail. I've been dead. I've been, you know, uh, I've slept in, on, in the fucking snow. You know what I mean? Like I've been homeless like i've done every low thing you can do like what's the worst that could happen i get knocked out there's nothing so uh, you know i decided uh, you know this is my path and i'm gonna carve the path i'm not gonna search for a path i'm gonna make the path and i'm not gonna look back and i'm going to the top of that mountain and uh and that's something i still talk about today when i talk to people is about uh i didn't have any idea how i was gonna do it but i knew why i was gonna do it and i knew that i was gonna do it and i think um, in my own personal struggles, and I think in a lot of people's struggles, they kind of get caught up in the how. You know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to win this fight? Whatever. And I think when you know, understand your why, I, I think the how becomes a lot more um, clear. Clear, yeah, more clear and easier. I mean, it doesn't matter anymore. You could. Do, it's better to do it a hundred percent wrong than fifty percent right. I think there's a balance to doing things, and it's highlighted by what you just sa- what you just said. There's a balance, and it's a lot of what we were talking about earlier about uh, Joel Jameson versus Louis Simmons mm-hmm. versus uh, like someone who's like super technical versus someone who's just a fucking mad dog and just wants you to just go out and do it and don't be a pussy. Mm-hmm. Your, your mindset that allowed you to take that fight with no training and then take another fight after that with no training and then take another fight after that with no t- just this mindset of fuck it let's just do this. Mm-hmm. That, there's a balance between that and then you realizing, okay, I got to really learn how to do this. If I'm going to really be a fighter, I'm going to really be a, really define myself. I'm going to really go out and make a mark. I got to learn what the fuck I'm doing. Exactly. There's both things there, but that's that balance. Like you need both things. You know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. you have to have a certain amount of fuck it in you. You mm-hmm. know, you have to have a certain amount for a sport. I mean, is it called an MMA a sport? It always seemed to me to be. It's too. It's too defining. It's or, or too. Uh, it's it's too limited. It's not uh, fighting is more than a sport. It's an expression of what you're capable of. Absolutely. It's your you who you are as a human. And that's where uh, one distinction I've made over the years is the difference between martial skills and martial arts. Everything everybody always calls everything encompasses it into a martial art. And when we go to the gym and we're training arm bars, do 100 arm bars, that's not an art. That's not your expression of your body in a combat scenario. That's, right. a, that's a martial skill. 
Now, when we go in competition, now we're expressing our art. Right. And I think this is an important distinction to be made. I think it's something that uh, I get so tired of hearing, you know, I, I train martial arts and, uh, you know, I train martial skills and then I express my art. That's a very interesting way of putting it. How many years after you initially started seriously training were you on the Ultimate Fighter? Uh, four or five. I remember when you were on the Ultimate Fighter and they stole your chew. Somebody <laughs> fucked with your That's chew. What everybody remembers. Yeah. Well, I remember that because I remember like there's some dudes that there's some guys that play tough guy. There's some guys that put on a show and puff up their chest and say some shit that they might not necessarily mean. And then there's some guys that say some shit and you go, uh oh, this dude's fucking serious. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember when they fucked with your cue, with your chew. I remember watching that. I go, this motherfucker's serious. I'm like Matt yeah. Brown's not a joker. And then when you fought Matt Arroyo, that was uh, another example of it. I'm like, there's skill wise. I'm like Matt Arroyo is a very talented guy and still is good jujitsu guy, good fighter. But there was something that was a battle of minds. I and agree. Your mind. And I don't know if you knew that I fought him before that, too. Yeah, I did. Right? Yeah. And, but the first time I fought, and this is why it was such a, a no brainer to say to fight. Uh, I fought him the first time on 24 hours notice. So I, I wasn't even I wasn't training or I was training a girl and uh, she was going to Florida to fight. And when I got there, we're driving to the weigh ins and the promoter, I heard him talking on the phone. And he goes, and I heard him say, you know, oh, we don't have an opponent for him. I, so I said, hey, you know, what do you need an opponent for? And he's like, well, this guy, Matt Arroyo, you know, 170. And, and I said, dude, I'll fight. Like, I, how much will you pay me? And they're like, I have 400, 500 bucks. I was like, dude, that'll pay my rent. Fuck yeah, I'll do it. And um, yeah, so, and I said, you know, I can't make weight because I got like one hour. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he said, he said, it's cool. And fought him on 25 hours notice and beat him. So, he wanted redemption for that. Yeah, there was th that fight was an you. One of the things about like watching you fight as someone who's seen a lot of people fight. There's there's moments in exchanges where after the exchange, a guy will try to take a break or a guy will try to catch his breath or move pace. The and obligatory break. Yeah, is what I call it. Yeah. There's little breaks, and then there's guys who recognize those breaks and push in. Mm -hmm. And you're a guy who pushes in. Absolutely. When there's a break, you're like, oh, no, motherfucker. There's no breaks here. There's no breaks here. And you just get on, dudes. And it makes things very intense. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about all your fights. They're very intense. You know, there's a, there's a certain level of violence that you bring into the octagon that someone has to be prepared for. You know, and there's some guys that are prepared for it and makes for amazing fights, like your fight with Robbie Lawler. Holy shit, was that a crazy fight. Yeah. You know, and then there's guys who just, they just can't keep the pace. They just can't keep that, that mm. keeping you off of them. Yeah, and uh, I think what, um, my goal as a martial artist, as a fighter, uh, martial, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, combat guy, you know, I get my skills up to the point where um, it matches your mind. Where it matches the mind, yeah. And Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys struggle the other way. Yeah, and I think one of the the things that um, I talk about a lot that you see, I don't think that I was necessarily born this way. This is where I think a lot of people get confused. I mean, I was certainly born with an inclination towards uh, uh, fighting. I wouldn't be where I'm at w without that, but. You know, um, I work a lot on my mind. I do a lot of stuff 
I've always been obsessed with martial arts and, and, and combat as a whole. And I hear other people say they're obsessed. Like, like Connor you know, made it really famous when he started saying it, right? I think my obsession goes far, far beyond what anybody's even even close to. I don't think their their uh, definition of obsession even uh, even uh, is comparable to mine at all. I mean, I'm I'm far more obsessed. I've, I've read probably I, I got a, a library of sports psychology books, of of strength and conditioning books, of uh, martial arts books, all this stuff. Um, I mean, it's literally on my mind twenty four hours a day. But one of the things I really focus on is the the sports psychology part, and. I think that is why it's expressed that way in the fight. Um, and you hear a lot of people, they'll say, you hear, how, how have you heard, like, man, you know, my mind's already strong. Like, I ain't scared when I walk in there or, or stupid shit like that. And, yeah. and I always say, you know, do you think Michael Jordan stopped practicing layups? Do you think Jordan Burroughs stopped practicing double legs? Do you think that Arnold Schwarzenegger stopped doing bicep curls? It, because it's good doesn't mean that you can't stop. be improved upon. Yeah, it can right. be improved upon, and you don't stop. So, and I think the mind is one of those things that um, can always be better. Like we're not tapping into. I mean, what are we tapping? Like ten percent of our brains. That's at all bullshit. Best? Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, they used to oh, think fuck. that. They used to think <laughs> that. It's they used to. That's something they say, but uh, the reality is, uh, your brain has a bunch of different quadrants for all sorts of different functions. Okay. So when you know you're utilizing a certain portion of your brain, that's the portion of your brain that's responsible for those actions. Okay. Yeah. This is not either way. Our, no. our minds are certainly far more unlimited and far more potential than we're tapping into. Well, right? I think your mind yeah. is a lot like your body, and it performs and it does what you ask of it. Mm-hmm. And if you just are a lazy bitch who doesn't do anything but sit around and watch TV, and you don't ever challenge your mind, I think your mind is weak and it atrophies. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you say that you you have all these books and you say that you work on your mind, like, do you have a, a daily practice that you do? Do you meditate? Like, what um, do you do? I meditate. Um, you know, daily is sort of a, uh, I, I hate saying I do it daily because, you know, I skip days mm-hmm. and, and I mean, I have three kids, which you know how that goes. And yeah, yeah it's very, um, but at the same time, I try to use everything as an opportunity to practice on my mind too, right? Um, um, how you do anything is how you do everything, yes. right? Yes. Right. Um, and so I think you know we can use opportunities all the time. And uh, but yes, I do meditate. I do tons of visualization. I have uh, um, my strength and conditioning coach I work with now. He's a, he's also got a degree in sports psychology. So we integrate a lot of that in the training itself. Uh, for instance, like doing, we do these 200-yard sprints on the force treadmill that are, that are just miserable. That, I mean, by the time you're done, you just don't have anything left. It's a complete drain. And then as soon as you're done, like if stand at attention, right? I have to stand, you know, like a military attention, straight up and down, and not let the uh, the the concept of your body shutting down affect your ability to maintain a posture, right? And that's just a mental thing, 100%, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's sure. solely mental. Um, that's just one example. We do a million things like that. Um, but yeah, I do, I do tons and tons of visualization, which is a, a consistent, uh, marker of high performers, a, a consistent thing that high performers do. I, I think this is a uh, well-known, um, I have a, a mental coach specifically that kind of holds me accountable for a lot of the things, you know, me and him, we talk a, a lot back and forth about the different, uh, the different, uh, um, 
ways to create habits. I think that's probably the number one thing is creating habits, right? Um, you know, but, you know, he holds me accountable for everything. And I think that's probably the biggest key is just being held accountable for every action that you do. Have you ever used a sensory deprivation tank? Absolutely. My, uh, my strength coach has one. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. And I go in about 45 to an hour. Um, do you work on shit in there? Do you think about techniques? Um, you know, I don't really. Uh, I use that as a time. So I, I've, I try to practice this form of meditation that I, you know, I can't even remember the name of it. This dude, um, Kishnamaru. You ever heard of him? Krishnamaru? I, I don't know why it's not coming to my head right now, but he was one of Bruce Lee's guys. He's an Indian uh, med- meditation guy and everything. And um, his form of meditation was to completely clear your mind, which is, I, I guess, like, is actually impossible, right? Like, there's no way to just have no thought at all. But that's sort of what I try to strive for, is go literally no mind at all. What I do is and, think about only my breath. That's it. I concentrate yeah. on my breathing in and breathing out. Well, and there's a bunch of other shit that gets in there, but eventually I can kind of overpower it and just think only about breathing in and, and only the, and about breathing I, out. So that's what I do to, to get to that state, mm-hmm. right? To get to a state where I can release everything. Mm-hmm. But at that point, uh, once I'm, I'm relaxed, then I go for the uh, the no mind, which again, is, it's impossible. But um, my personal... Uh, system of visualization or or relaxation is I see the thoughts as clouds and that my mind is a sky or space. So, you know, my mind becomes this gigantic uh, uh, entity and the thoughts are just clouds that pass by. But again, when I start thinking about things like that, now you're not in the no mind. If you start thinking about your breath, you're not in the no mind. And I want to get as close to that as possible because in a fight, in a combat situation, I want no mind. Right. That's the that's the way that Musashi talks about. Right. Yeah. Dude, and that's, that's that's Musashi right there. Oh fuck yeah. 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 This book was of a, five rings, a man. play on Musashi. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have yeah, you read man. the book Musashi? Yeah. Yeah. I read that. You put it yeah. on your Instagram I just the put other it up day. day. Yeah. yeah. I read that, and I read the book of five rings when I was sixteen. Changed nice. my life. Nice. That's the one that Louis will. If you work for Louis, all of his staff, you're Louis forced Simmons? to read it. Yeah. Beautiful. Louis you have yeah. to read it. Dude, once you yeah, understand the way broadly, time. you can see it in all things. Exactly. I remember reading that when I was 16, and I was like, oh, I get it. Nice. I was like, you when, you when you can get great at something, you can get great at anything. It's mm-hmm. the same thing, whether it's playing the piano or writing books or fighting or anything. It's the same thing. It's all about yeah. figuring it out, understanding the way. And that's... Uh the book, The Art of Learning. Have you read this one? No. Josh Waitzkin, you know his? Oh, yeah. The chess prodigy that yeah. is a black belt under yeah. uh, Marcelo Garcia. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. a beautiful, amazing book that's sort of a similar type thing. He's a fucking wizard, man. I've heard him wizard. on uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast. Yep. Super yep. smart guy. That's where I heard of him from. Yeah. yeah. Genius. And just so good at understanding how to learn things and teach things. Mm-hmm. I think that mentality, that chess player mentality, because chess is such a, such a complex, cognitive uh, demanding game you know there's so much thinking and planning and so many steps ahead that you have to be and so many moves that you have to have cataloged in your head and and he goes into beyond just the technical part too when he talks about how he kind of lost his 
love for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a great book, man. Yeah. Well, he's a really fascinating character. And yeah. I, I love when a guy like that gets obsessed with martial arts mm-hmm. because it changes the way people look at something like jujitsu. Because people on the outside in particular, they look at jujitsu as like, oh, it's just a bunch of fucking meatheads choking each other. And then they see a guy like that and they go, oh, wait a minute. Josh Waitzkin is in jiu-jitsu? He's a black belt? Huh. Man, that's, that's got to be one of the great things about jujitsu is uh, the amazing people that do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you come out here to L.A., and I mean, I see these people doing jujitsu. I talk to them, like, hey, what do you do? Like, oh, you know, I'm a movie you know, top guy or whatever, or I'm an executive, or I'm, yeah. a, I'm a CEO. Or I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah. What are you doing in here? Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie's a fucking black yeah. belt. Yeah. He was on the podcast, and I was like, what? You're a black belt under Henzo? Right. I was like, holy shit. That's nice. Yeah, that's legit, man. That's you badass, Goddamn black belt and a Henzo Gracie. They don't give those away. Maynard James Keenan. Yep, yep. Oh, he's a buddy of mine. Yeah. I mean, I, I know him a little bit. He's I, I, legit as fuck. That yeah, dude does jujitsu and he's got a fake hip. <laughs> I didn't he's know He's got that. a hip replacement from stomping on stage. Damn, you know how nice. he's always stomping on stage? Didn't he choke someone out on stage? Yeah, he uh, hip tossed some dude, took his back. And uh, got him in a rear naked choke on stage and kept singing. And the dude was going like, nice. yes. <laughs> like he wasn't hurting the guy. You know, the guy was a fan. It was the whole thing was kind of crazy. Like, most, is it on YouTube or anything? Yeah, yeah. Jamie can find it. The guy comes up to him, the guy runs up to him on stage. Maynard has the fucking microphone in his hands. Maynard's another dude. He's he's one of the smartest dudes I know. So smart, stupid smart to the point where he's kind of he's kinda, he kind of gets weird around people because he's so goddamn smart. Everybody else is like a baby. So here he's on stage. Uh, you got a big screen. And some dude, some dude jumps onto the stage and rushes him. Where's it at, Jamie? How long is this video? Got to get to when the dude runs on stage. There he is. Oh, okay, get it. Go before that because he hip tosses. And he's like first. singing this whole yeah. time. <laughs> Look, the guy runs up to him. He's like, "Yeah, Maynard hugs him. Boom, nice. <laughs> throws him on the ground, takes his back, <laughs> sings it choking, <laughs> and he keeps singing. And then he goes over onto his back and pulls the guy backwards, and then keeps singing while he's in full back mount with the hook. And the dude's got his arms. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is beautiful. Yeah, and he kept singing the song. This I guy's mean, it's like fucking a, hilarious. Man, he's a god, man. Yeah, he's a, a bad motherfucker. Men. And he's always training. He comes out here, he trains down. He hey, goes down to bit, Henry yeah. Aiken's place and yeah. he trains with Dave Camarillo, Half Gracie. He goes everywhere. Yeah, I'm training with him a little bit out there. We were drilling a couple weeks ago over at Henry's. And then yeah. I brought him in Muscle Farm. We did some training there. And Most people, yeah. they get their fucking hip replaced. They're like, that's a wrap. Right? Yeah, and he's like, I got to get my black belt. Like, yeah. Wow. Dude, Mark Coleman had his hip replaced, and he ain't even training. <laughs> yeah, didn't he talk about both of them? Right? I think he may have had both of them. The one when uh, where they call it had a problem. Yeah, it had it to, got like, infected. Redone. Yeah, yeah it got infected. Had to get redone. Redone, man. Imagine that shit. They cut off the top of your leg. They put a fake hip in there. They put a bolt that goes through the center of the bone, all the way down through the bone. Imagine having to redo that. They got to pull it out, put a <laughs> new one in there. Fuck, man. Imagine just doing it once. I've only had one uh, surgery in my life. I've only went under. Well, I've went under twice now. So what you have done? Um, the, actually, so twice. Yeah, the first one I had tore the ligament right here. Oh, I, rem- I remember that. Yeah, like you were you were talking about that. That was fucking with you for a long time, right? Yeah, probably about a year. I fought like that. 
Um, well, you couldn't totally make a fist, right? Yeah, it was like this, kind of. So I was like frogging people. <laughs> Ian McCall's still like that. Really? Ian McCall's broke his hand so much that his right hand, one mm. of his knuckles, like his pinky or his uh, pointer finger, it never curls past mm. that. Yeah, well, this wasn't broken. The bones were all intact. But the ligament there was completely torn. So what'd they have yeah. to do? Um, I just went in. They, there's an incision there and just reattached the ligament. And I came back probably four months later, six, five months later maybe. That's when they were telling me you'll be fine and everything. And, you know, it took probably a year before it was actually okay. Wow. It's just. Chris Weidman's going through some shit like that right now. He fucked his thumb up in the Kelvin Gastelum fight mm. and then had to get a ligament from his wrist mm. taken out and attached to his thumb because his thumb's ligament was torn. And he still can't fully train, still can't grip really? or fully punch. Yeah, he's waiting. Yeah. yeah, mine, they didn't have to do none of that. But they, they said once they opened it up, there was a lot more stuff in there they had to take out and a lot more that was ripped that they didn't even realize was there you know how it is with the mris yeah well with fighters um, like so many guys have shit wrong they don't even know like did you ever see mm-hmm. jacques when they had his uh elbows cleaned out no. he uh he had elbow surgery and they found chunks of bone and cartilage in his elbow like a like like a shot glass filled with like shit that really? was floating around inside of his elbow just from hitting people with elbows and getting arm barred and not tapping and shit popping and oh, snapping wow. and tearing loose and hmm. all of it is just fucking mangled yeah because he broke his arm when he's hodger hodger yeah right? hodger going. broke his arm yeah. and he tucked it into his belt and kept going it's badass and, <laughs> yeah i mean that was a horrible arm break too like to me wrestling is the hardest sport in the world and i I love wrestling i love watching it i love being a part of it yeah um but that doesn't happen in wrestling right very often i mean i, I guess there's probably some i know uh mike basillo went to the uh finals with a, a torn peck wow yeah so one takes arm, a lot. Yeah. Takes a lot. I to guess do it that. does happen in wrestling. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, that's a different. Yeah, that situation was just he was up on points and he just needed to survive for a he couple. He won minutes. the match, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Won the match. Man. Well, you remember when John Jones fought uh, Vitor? Vitor completely mm-hmm. hyper extended his arm. That Did was it break? when I don't know if it broke, but it was fucked up for mm-hmm. a long time. I mean, it was bent like this the other way just mm. completely bent backwards like i was convinced he was gonna tap i was like he's gotta tap i thought he was too and vitor like let it go a little yeah it looked like he let it go it was weird yeah i remember that yeah and um and like um, uh, think of if it, if he finishes that crazy the the world changes yeah the whole world of yeah. light heavyweight changes yeah vitor's life changes and, yeah everything changes yeah. vitor becomes a champ yeah the whole thing changes. John Jones, not the greatest ever. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, is up in the air or whatever. But. I think he's the greatest ever performance-wise. We were talking about performance-wise earlier before the podcast started mm. versus, like, we were talking about Cain Velasquez. Performance-wise, like, uh, the actual results versus what you think about their ability. You know, I think Kane, yeah. when he was at the time, I never saw anybody like Kane when he was in his prime. 240 pounds, unfucking godly cardio. We just never stopped coming at you. Excellent yeah, striking yeah, yeah. technique. Take a tremendous my shot. Thi- my, thi- my whole thing with it, though, is as soon as you test positive once, I, right. I take you out of the greatest period. Right. It's just against the rules. I'm not even against steroids. Like, take steroids. You know, like, if, if it's your endocrinologist tells you to take steroids, go fucking do it. Good. Good for you. But... 
in our sport, unfortunately, it's against the rules. So there's only a certain amount of people doing it. So if you're doing it, you're cheating. Right. And but do you think John was taking steroids? I don't know. I don't. It, think but he, it, I don't think he was. But to be honest. Um, it doesn't matter right. to me. I mean, you know, I've said this for a long time. I think it should be a lifetime ban, first offense, really? period. Yeah. And there's going to be martyrs. There would be guys like, I don't think Tim Means was taking steroids. Like, he wasn't. He certainly did not look well, like they it. they proved and, it. They yeah. proved that he wasn't. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know it went that far. It. Okay. So, they found the supplement that he was taking that was a totally legal supplement. Okay. You get a bunch of shit so from if you, these but, small but, companies, or these uh, companies, rather, that get it from China, and they... They have these bins, and like we had a problem with that with the Alpha Brain when we first had not steroids, but vitamins that were in Alpha Brain that weren't supposed that to be in supposed there. To be there, we have all our stuff independently tested, and when we had it independently tested, it turned out that the mixers that when they were putting all the different ingredients in, they would be putting in these vats, and they had used these vats for other shit and had it completely cleaned it out. And this mm. is a problem with companies that sell steroids and also sell things like creatine. Like this is the this is the big story about John Jones. This is the big rumor. This is what they were, they think is that he was doing coke that had creatine in it. Yeah, I heard it was this. cut with yeah, creatine. Yeah. And that creatine probably had trace elements of steroids. The reason why that makes sense is because he tested negative right before that test, and then tested positive, and then tested negative again a short time after that. This is a steroid that takes several months to get out of your system, but it got out of his system very quickly, mm. which would indicate it was a very, very small trace amount. Not an amount that you would take if you were actually using it to try to, you know, to get a performance-enhancing benefit. That's what I, th- I, I believe okay. it. It makes sense to me. And yeah. so it makes sense fair to enough. Nowitzki, too. Uh, it's fair enough. And it, I, I'm certainly there's cases. So under in my world where, okay, first offense, lifetime ban, I think a lot of guys would be a lot more careful with things like that, for one. And I think, uh, you know, there would be a due process. So, you know, say he proved that or like Tim Means, you know, proved it, right. you know, he comes right back. Right. Um, and I also think, uh, unfortunately, there would be people that would probably uh, have no bad intention and would uh, have the, you know, end up testing positive and having a lifetime ban. And there would be martyrs, basically. And I can't I can't sign off on martyrs, man. Too many dudes have dreams. You know? For sure. For what, sure. About, what about you? Like, What if you accidentally yeah. took some creatine and well, had some bullshit in I, it? Personally, I'm extremely uh, diligent. I do my... You know, right. I do my due diligence, man. Like I, I work with Muscle Farm for years right. now, and like I know that, and they have great stuff. Yeah, they, may, they have yeah. great stuff. I know that it's good stuff, and that's my primary supplement source. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I don't go do coke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I, if if you do those things and something bad happens to you, that's your fault. You know what I mean? If 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 for instance he was doing coke, and uh, you know, not a knock on John Jones either. I mean, it's a, it's a I'm not living his life. I mean, he's in a difficult situation as a young kid, um, you know, with God. I mean, I can only imagine the amount of people approaching him for crazy things and trying to talk him into all these things. So so I I have some sympathy for his situation. But, you know, you make the choice. You have to pay the consequences for the choice. I agree that you should pay the con- the, cho- the consequences for the choice. I just don't agree that the price should be so high. You know, like w- like when you think about a guy like Anderson Silva, like Anderson Silva just tested positive again. Again, do you think that that takes him out of the consideration for the greatest of all time? In my mind, one hundred percent. See, I feel like Even, he's doing it because he's old. I feel like he's doing it because he's <laughs> so, forty. So we again, we can feel whatever right. we want to feel, right? I, right? I mean, I feel like he probably wasn't doing it the whole time. 
But he might have been. Yeah, but do I know? Yeah. Hell no, I don't know. Did you ever see his trainer? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah he <laughs> trained uh, Eric Silva when I fought him. And, you know, his trainer looks ridiculous. Yeah. He's set like 70 years old. He's just fucking jacked. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks like the Hulk. He's got like 5% body fat at 60 years He's old. He's so big. <laughs> like I sent a picture to, of, da- of the guy to Dana, and I go, this is Anderson's trainer, LOL. <laughs> and, and, and Dana sends me back, holy shit, are you serious? I go, yeah, that's his trainer. Oh, the man. fucking guy's so jacked. Dana's certainly seen him around the UFC. Yeah. He's training lots of guys. Is that? That's, that's, a, not that's a different guy, man. Is that, is Unless that, he's younger. He's no, younger. no, it's uh, he's uh, right the guy above it with the, the white top. shirt. That guy. No, no, no. Yeah, that guy right okay, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the, him. Look to the picture to the left. Is yeah, even to the more. left is the one. Yeah, that's the picture I sent yeah. Dana. <laughs> <laughs> he's so jacked. I mean, his fucking abs stick out like like biceps. Each one of his abs looks like a, a bodybuilder's bicep just glued to his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Listen, folks, there's like you can get big at 60. You could be pretty built at 60. You can't be that built. It's not possible. It's like 0.01% of the population that can do that, maybe. Yeah, and they all live in Africa. Yeah. They all all have like super genes. Yeah. You know, they're all like Francis Ngannou's relatives. (laughs) (laughs) There's so few people that are built like that naturally. Oh, that's just, good, man. Not at that age. You know, at that age, you know, the, your body starts to diminish. There's just no if ands, or buts about it. Uh, do you know that he's that old for sure? Yeah, that guy's old. Yeah. Yeah, he's in his 60s. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah. He's a, I think he's an ex-gym, right? Is, is that his? I, I think he know. trained Jocker. I know he trained Eric Silva, who was at X-Gym. He was in his corner. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm glad I'm fighting a little guy, not him. Yeah, <laughs> Eric Silva changed. Boy, you want to talk about a post-USADA guy. Yeah. Like, he's he's one of him and Vitor. But Vitor, obviously, was a testosterone replacement therapy. But Him and uh, I think Johnny Hendricks was probably the most obvious, right? Performance-wise, yeah. for sure. You got, you got to yeah. wonder about Hendricks. Like, how much of it was burnout? How much of it was possibly he was taking something you got to say it possibly because he never tested positive for anything yeah, but, absolutely yeah but dude he was launching people across dude, the I, I was the last fight before usada when i fought him you know i felt his strength i seen his body i mean yeah you know, i felt it firsthand you know, this is a completely different world yeah yeah well especially completely, completely different compared to now he yeah. doesn't look the same. Yeah, he doesn't fight the same. It's like it's certainly part part of that has to be motivation too. I mean, yeah. he's just there's no way he he's under the same uh, mental uh, aspiration that he had before. He's but just also he just looks at it differently. Could be also because his hormones are all fucked up. If uh, absolutely, this is yeah. a big speculation. If he was on something and then he's off. His hormones crash. Yep. There's no way they can't. That's just how and that, it works. And that affects your mind, right? A hundred percent. I mean, I've, I've never taken it, but I mean, I see people that go on and off of it and they're like depressed. And Yeah, look at yeah. Vitor. Remember when Vitor mm-hmm. came back? I mean, there's so many pictures of Vitor when he fought like Michael Bisping. And then you see Vitor after USADA. And he just he's got that old man bod, and he goes in there, and his body's kind of like loose. And it just, mm-hmm. your body's not producing hormones anymore. Vitor yeah. was on that shit when he was 19, man. Oh, Just was he? Well, that. yeah, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder why when he fought him, Randy yeah. and he was 240 yeah. pounds and his neck started up here, mm. his neck started about two inches above his ears and just went down straight to his shoulders. <laughs> fucking... He's he, so fast. It's like ridiculously fast. Yeah. yeah, especially when he fought Tank. Well, when I, he was I about 205, any... he was ridiculously fast. Yeah, because I, I wonder if there's any, I was going to say, uh, like... If if you slow down when you stop taking that stuff, like, like if your muscles actually, uh, you know, 
your fast twitch muscles go away or something oh, like you, that. Your you whole know? body crashes. Right. When you're that jacked up on steroids, your whole body, first of all, your, your balls are just like on vacation. I mean, I know you get stronger, but what about, you know, speed, though? That's a different thing. A, a lot of speed is from uh, a neurological, right? It's a lot of, uh, you know, the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, you know, about the effects. on. Did you see the study uh, Andy Galpin just came out with? Which one? He just posted it the other day about uh, epigenetic memory of muscles. Yes. So this is, I think, a big problem with the steroids because... I say I do steroids when I'm 19. Now my muscles get jacked, and now my muscles remember how yes. to get that jacked again. Um, even though I'm off steroids for 10 years, and then I come back at 30 and and redo it. That's a very good point. That's a very good point, yeah. and and a very real point. Yeah, your your body has muscle memory, and especially if you do it when you're young, and then your body has an adequate amount of time to rebuild, and you mm -hmm. start developing a natural hormone level. It also increases your tendon strength. It increases, mm -hmm. increases ligament strength. I mean, it just your body changes. It, ch it changes the density of your muscles, or of your bones. It just does. A, there's a lot of. I mean, and then there's another argument for women. Women that have taken steroids, it's an even more intense argument because you're putting supernatural levels of testosterone in a woman's body. They develop all this new muscle tissue that never would have been there without it. And a certain amount of that sticks around. Mm. And, you know, you might not even ever been able to develop that kind of strength without it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what, that was the first thing I thought of when I seen that study. Yeah. And that was where I was like, you know, there's, there's always a lot more to it than, than, than meets the eye. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, with uh, the kind of cheating that they've been doing in Russia, you know, did you see that movie Icarus? No, no, it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, I know got, what you're talking about. I want to see it. It's fucking crazy. I just watch so little TV. I just miss everything. Yeah. Every every day someone, did you see this on Netflix? Nah, I planned on it. It's on my queue. It'll make it's on my you list. <laughs> it'll make you it'll make you curious and mad at the same time. Really? Because they had a state sponsored state sponsored doping program. Russia had oh, all yeah. I their think it's athletes pretty well known, right? I mean, Yeah, but this was proven. So, okay, so the they, guy they who was doing it. it, the guy who was doing it. Uh, is in this documentary, and he was helping this guy, Brian Fogel, do a bike race. What Brian Fogel did was he did a bike race with nothing, and then he wanted to get juiced up and see what the difference is uh, with the next year, do the same race, but do it on everything. And so mm -hmm. he contacted this Russian guy who is the head of anti-doping in Russia. Well, this guy, along the way, from doping up Brian Fogel, they all got busted. And when they got busted, not Brian Fogel, the, the Olympics mm -hmm. in, in Russia – the um, they had the Sochi Olympics. They found out that people had tam tampered with samples, and a bunch of shit started coming out about it. And then it became this gigantic scandal. He fled Russia, came to the United States, and testified and told everything that he did. They opened up Fuck. these supposedly unopenable sample jars and replaced the bad urine with clean urine. They had frozen urine, and then they had a hole in the wall where they were passing urine back oh, and man. forth and p replacing the old stuff with Was clean stuff. Was this specific stuff. to a, a certain sp a specific sport? No, no every. Sport, across the board Oof. and they had a record number of gold medals that year everybody's juiced to the tits <laughs> and everybody's pissing clean that's the tough thing about everybody goes into the russian training methods and how they're superior and everything and you're like, well a little bit of that a yeah, little yeah, bit of this yeah. i mean there's some great russian training methods for sure i mean the russians Absolutely. invented the kettlebells russians have uh, super technical wrestling instruction and there's some without a doubt some great russian training method but it's also because sports means so much to them yeah, on I was a national say, level like they were they're also state-sponsored yeah. scientists rather than you know in america where it's 
you know, if you're a professor or something, you just do what you want to do for your, you know, for your athletes or whatever. Well, we have to realize yeah. that their best athletes are all amateurs. Yeah. They don't have professional sports. Uh, boxing. Yeah, but that's yeah. it. I mean, and they don't have, well, they have MMA too, Fedor, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't have like NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, hockey. Right, where They right, don't right. have like this true, professional yeah. venue like we do over here. So a lot of their greatest athletes go into amateur Olympics. Mm. And so they're juicing these fucking people up for Soviet glory. They're doing it for the glory of the country. Right, and it's right. sponsored by the state. And they outline in this documentary from Putin all the way down, people working for Putin, who this guy, this Gregory guy, who was the guy who was in charge of all the state-sponsored doping. It's fucking madness. And it makes you wonder. You know, I mean, nobody wants to say... Like, Fedor in Pride was the motherfucker, right? I mean, he was the Loved motherfucker. It. Loved it. A, an animal. And it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. Like, what was <laughs> going on over there? Well, Loved it, man. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, that's one of the best. I think uh, Crow Cop Fedor. Woo! Man, that was, uh, like, for me, was probably, like, the, the most intense. I had to stay up for it. Yeah. And I just remembered... Waiting, watching him walk out, just eyes. Those are like at three o'clock in the morning, out. right? Yeah, I remember it was yeah. really late at night. I remember it was snowing and shit. Fuck. And, yeah, I, I don't know why I remember that, but like I was just, like, I'm not fucking going anywhere, man. I'm sitting here watching this, the eyes bulging out, just you know, I didn't care, man. Yeah, Fedor versus Noguera. It's so rare that yeah. fights are like that anymore. I mean, there's certainly mm -hmm. some yeah that come up here and there, but. Man, those to me were the glory days, man. Yeah, because well, we waited how long to see the fight? Yeah, you know, it's like three, four months. There's no fights in between, right? You know, there's like one UFC fight or something, and we're just like, dude, this is the fight. This is the Super Bowl that everybybody's been waiting the whole season for. Do you think there's for. too many fights now? I don't know. I like it. I like that there's a lot of fights. Yeah, but I, I also think that some of them get overlooked. Absolutely, absolutely, and like I wish. There's a side of me that wishes it was the way it was back in the day, and there's a side of me that's like, I do. This is what we all wanted from the beginning, right? You know, we wanted fights every weekend, but uh, I, I, again, unfortunately, it, it does take away from that gigantic fight. Yeah, you know, those are harder to make these days. I but think. And if I you think that's have, why they're doing the champ versus champ thing, they're trying to make those big fights again. Yeah, I think so too. But if you only have those fights every three or four months, there's no way you're going to have enough fights for all the athletes in the UFC. Absolutely, yeah. That's yeah. Big part of the issue is there's yeah. 500 fighters on roster. Plus, yep. I think there's more now. Actually, uh, the only thing I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm no one to say how to do it, but. I, I kind of wish there was like a, you know, the UFC fight night and then the the pay per view and you know they have all these different things, but they don't seem to. I mean, I think they may be moving towards it where there's sort of a you know the smaller fights work up, like you, you do like a UFC fight night three or four times, build an audience. Now we put you on pay per view for the big fight. You get what I'm saying? So, yeah. Something something yeah. like this, like not necessarily like a feeder, but you know within the organization a feeder. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, more structured. I mean, I, I love the big events that they have every year, like the Fourth of July event, the New Year's event, the Madison Square Garden event. They have a year where they just stack it and just have yeah. just a ton of of big time fights. But you know, like I liked Eric Anders Leota Machida last week too. Mm. You know, I mean, I like I like that too. Where it's maybe a, a fight that not a lot of people are watching, maybe less people are watching, but it's an interesting fight yeah. still. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it. I, just, I, <laughs> I don't have cable anymore, so you don't. Yeah. 
don't even have cable. Like we use Netflix. My wife does. But do you but, have? Uh, do you honestly have the UFC app? I do have the UFC app. Was it on there? Yeah. Well, um, that it wasn't, but it probably will be. How long after? Yeah, it will be. That, and that's how long a, do they wait before from Fox Sports One till it's on the UFC? Yeah, app? I, don't, I don't even know. I mean, that's the thing though. Is I can I sit there and watch that. If I'm watching anything, it's always fights on there or YouTube. I just yeah. watch Muay Thai fights all day. That's like my favorite thing to oh, do. Oh, do you? Yeah. I just do you see Sanchez's latest? Uh, the question mark kick? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, yeah. dude. Where he got pulled up his shorts right yeah. after he did it, too. <laughs> this guy, man. I he's love him. He's wild, man. I he's, love him. Sanchai is so interesting to me because he's different than any other TIE fighter in his movements. He's Absolutely. so light on his feet, mm-hmm. constantly switching stances, and he's just... He's a Floyd Mayweather of Muay Thai. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, that's a guy I'm going to try to get out here for... You know, like what I'm doing with Muscle Farm is some things I could try to help them build a team and everything. And he's one of the guys I want to get out for a seminar and kind of be, a, you know, affiliate with him. Please let me man. know. Yeah, if will, you have, yeah. I want to meet that guy. Yeah, I really want to get him because it's not just the, you know, the way that he fights in the ring, but the way that he trains, man. Yeah. Like he, I mean, he trains hard. Hard. You know, you watch these yeah. videos of him, you're like, dude. And it's so easy for him. That's the yeah. weird part, right? Like, I mean, he'll he'll do like thirty kicks in a row. Yeah. Like, dude, how did you just do that? And and you're like smile. <laughs> yeah. Well, he doesn't kick like. He's loose, man. Yeah. He's, so loose. he's not loose like hips. a Liam Harrison guy that is. Yeah. Every yeah, kick yeah. is fucking hundred and fifty percent. He's like pop 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 pop, mm-hmm. and he just keeps going, just keeps going, just his keeps eyes, going. His eyes, yeah. man. I don't oh. know if it's something you can even train. I mean, he's like the. I'd say more like the Lomachenko of. Yeah. Of, uh, Muay Thai, right? Yeah. Where his eyes, man, he just sees. Yeah. Like that question mark kick. Yep. I mean, he just knows. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. And you look at his body, man, and he ain't the scary, impressive guy. Like, <laughs> no. you look at Bukow. Bukow's jacked, you know, giant fucking ab muscles, yeah. just ripped. Sanchai just looks like a guy who works out a little bit. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <so true. laughs> but meanwhile, he just fucks people up, man. And he's so slick with his movement. Like, even when he's hitting the pads, who hits pads like this where he's never, he never Stops moving his feet. So relaxed. So relaxed Relaxing. and so fluid. What's interesting to me is the feet. Just never stops moving his feet. And that's mm-hmm. just, I don't understand why more people don't emulate his style. Because he's obviously a traditionally trained Thai fighter, but has adapted everything to a, a much more dynamic and fluid method. Man, it's like, uh, you, you know, when I watch Sanchai and Loma Chica, I watch the shit out of these guys, right? Mm. And. So I got watched Liam Harrison, right, or John Wayne Parr, uh, um, Raymond Deckers, you know these Animals. these great Muay Thai guys, right? And they inspire me. I'm like, yeah. dude, I want to fucking do it. Then I watch Sanchai, I watch Loma Chica. I'm like, why do I do this? Right, right. right. It's the next level. I, uh, do I? Should, why am I even going to the gym? I can't. Like, look at this. I can't bop, do bop, this. Bop, 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 yeah, that's what bop. I'm talking about yeah. right there. And yeah. so fluid and Just relax. Look at him. He's look. not even getting tired. I mean, look at his face. He doesn't even. I mean, he could do this all day, all day, and I mean, he could do it in his kitchen while he's cooking. You know, <laughs> and he's thirty six. Yeah, I mean, it's really incredible. He's I mean, something special. That's the most. Uh, 
the most facial expression I've ever seen on him right there. Yeah, it's probably the end smiling. of 150 <laughs> rounds at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy's constantly training, constantly in the gym. And one of the things that I like about the way the ties spar, too, is that they play. Mm-hmm. Like, they're tapping each other. Yep. They're just working on their timing and their movement, and they're not hurting each other. They're saving it for fights. Yeah, well, they fight every week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My and coach, uh, Dorian Price, he's over there right now. And, yeah. I mean, it, man, they just they fight all every week man. i follow him yeah. on instagram oh nice yeah. nice nice yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a bad uh, motherfucker amazing I like that amazing fight. person man just uh one of the best guys you'll ever meet in your life man i you like can't. one of the things he said recently he's like yeah i'm wearing the same what uh, gray t-shirt and the same shorts he goes i'm not here for a fucking fashion show <laughs> i'm here to train i'm in thailand yeah that's, it's hot as hell for i'm you. here to get my work in yeah and he yeah. goes over to holland with ray and simpson and um Another guy I hope to get over here too. He, he was showing often. on one of his Instagram posts, posts. He was like, "These are my five star accommodations." He had a, yep. a white plastic <laughs> bucket. This is how I shower. You know, like he's over there doing the real deal, like, yeah, like a yeah. real Tie Fighter. Yep, yep. He's so that's where he actually goes up to. Um, I, don't, I don't. I don't think he still goes up there, but he used to go up to Asan, which is the northern part of Thailand. And originally, they didn't let foreigners up there. He would go to Sitmanchai. He was the first foreigner that they let in that really? camp. And that was his dream. He wanted to live like a, a tie fighter, wow. like a savage. And that's, awesome. that's where I'm, I'm lucky to have a friend like him because he brings the the Thai style back to me. And that's why I've never had to go to Thailand. Like he goes over, he'll only come back for my camps. He's had tons of people offer, and he won't come back for no one else. That's he's, awesome. He's been uh, so. When, when I was telling you a story about going, you know, started this Japanese jujitsu place. The first gym I went into, he was there. Wow. And you know, we both. Uh, started together and he won it well he he'd already started actually he was out in uh, virginia and then just moved to columbus but he won we both wanted to do muay thai and i was like dude there's no money in muay thai you do that shit <laughs> and, uh, so uh, he went to muay thai and i i went with him of course he went with him for a little while and Dude, I wish there was money in Muay Thai. I love I watching Lion Fight. I, I love watching it. And I, I preferred that even over regular kickboxing. I like the oh, elbows. Totally, yeah. yeah, I just Yeah, think, why they limit it? Yeah, why limit it? I just I mean, I think they limited it for K1 cuz they thought it would create more action with less clinching, but yeah, it's garbage. It is, right? It's part I mean, of the not art. Garbage. It's not I garbage. Say that, I, I still enjoy it. watching Bellator kickboxing. I love Glory yeah, cuz they just have some wild ass fights, but mm. A lot of those guys that are the top of the food chain guys are Muay Thai guys. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Ross is in Bellator sure. now. I mean, this guy elbowed the shit John out of everybody. Parr. John Wayne. Yeah. Joe Schilling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are elbow guys. Yeah, elbow guys. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, man, I've always thought that if they marketed Muay Thai like they do the kickboxing, I think it would blow up a lot better. But when you take Muay Thai, like Lion Fights, and they're, they're playing the Snake Charmer music, and yeah. they got the Mong Kongs, and they're yeah. dancing around Y Cruin and shit, and... Everybody's like, dude, I don't want to see this garbage. I want to see some fucking blood. Yeah, it's hard for people to appreciate the tradition, but I don't, you know, I, I respect their tradition. You know what someone yeah, explained yeah, to me? They said that what's beautiful about the Mong Kong and the, the Y crew is that you get relaxed. It's like mm. you're out there dancing and then you can put on your best performance because you're nice. already in front of all those people and you kind of loosen up. And then doing that, no, that's I, one of the benefits I, I, of that. I, I love it. I think it's awesome. And I'll watch it all day long. Um, but I don't think the casual American fan is ever going to be attracted to that. I wonder. You know, I wonder if they could be talked into it. It just seems like 
what happened with MMA was like lightning in a bottle. That Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner fight on TV, on Spike TV, nobody knew what the fuck it was at the time. You're watching MMA for the first time, you see that crazy shit. These guys are just throwing down wild haymakers and head kicks and takedowns and ah, and then exhausted. I mean, these guys just drain themselves out. I think those guys made the UFC. I think in that one fight, it's one of those weird moments lightning in a bottle you know at one point in time they estimate there was as many as 10 million people watching that fight really for and it started with just a couple of million like the event started with just Everybody's a couple million people yes dude, exactly watch this. dude these guys are fucking going crazy <laughs> and that one fight being so good i think made MMA. I think it just was the launching point and then after that people got into it and then they started saying holy shit this is awesome and then all the other fights and then it became the thing that it is today but I think that lightning in a bottle moment it's hard to recreate and with Muay Thai it just never happened there's no there's no lightning in a bottle moment and I don't know how you would recreate that today it seems like all the stars were aligned right because now today reality TV shows are kind of they're so saturated. There's so many of them. Back then, there wasn't as many. So to have the ultimate fighter, we got these guys in a house, and they're all competing, and they're going to fight for this six-figure contract on television. It was a big deal. It was a big show to watch. But now, there's like everybody's watching people fucking selling cars and pawn shops, and they're living in the woods, and people are making moonshine. It's like, fuck, man. There's so many reality shows, it's almost oversaturated to the point where if you had a Muay Thai show, it's like, well, okay, here's another th crazy thing people are doing. Oh, this guy's well, living did. with they bears. Did. Contender, that Muay Thai contender. That's right, they yeah. did, right. Did that even air here? Uh, I watched it. Did it air in America? Yeah, I, I don't know how I watched it, maybe on YouTube or something. Because the Contender here was a boxing it. show, right? Yeah, but they, they had, had the, the Contender, contender Muay Thai Asia. also. Was it called the Contender Asia? Is that what it was yeah, called? Yeah, I don't remember. I remember John Wayne Parr was on it, Yotes and Clyde. Right, yeah. right, right. That, that's, uh, I, I don't remember it that There's well. another bad motherfucker, Yotes and Clyde. Holy shit. Right. <laughs> he just came back. Did he? Mm -hmm. Oh, he retired for a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, he just fought, I think, uh, last weekend maybe. Oh, like man. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, to me, it's one of the great unsung combat sports. And you know, all these people that are watching boxing, and I love boxing, but, you know, if HBO just really wanted to get down and dirty come on hbo show me some muay thai That'd just be push it <laughs> that would be so amazing have sanchai on can yeah. you imagine or maybe espn you know instead yeah. of instead of having these uh, uh these commentators these narrators that are, are just dipshits and and you know every time they talk about mma i almost yeah. vomit i mean it's just ridiculous and then uh you know, instead of these garbage shows they have, they have golf, you yeah. know, like, a, right. I mean, some of the, uh, they have like a darts, I've seen <laughs> fucking darts on ESPN, but you can't show a, a kickboxing match. Come on. Well, you know what, man? I think there's a problem with commentary with sports that leaks into MMA and I don't think it belongs there. And I've fought against it from the beginning. And that's the, the, the insult commentary. There's a kind of like calling people bums and calling people losers and, you know, and get, out, get out of the game. Snoop Dogg, that piece of shit. You don't I'll like call him out. What, what's what, what don't you like about well, he, Snoop? He called uh, Connor. Oh, Mary called yeah. him a bitch. That was a mess. That no, was a mess. That's Absolute not cool, Floyd man. Mayweather fight. That was a mess. I think he was fucked I've, up. I don't care. Yeah. You know, you he put it on public. He could have, you know, apologized, deleted, whatever. You know. Yeah. If I go to the UFC PI, I might just punch him if I see him there. Whoa. I'm cool with that.
Look out, Snoop. <laughs> you don't want none of that, Snoop. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, that, that really offends me, man, because you know what, man, Connor, you know, people all have their opinions about him. I respect the shit out of that guy. I love what he's done. I love I, uh, do I love his shtick. Um, I think he's a he's a true um, uh, sportsman. I mean, I like it. he comes into the limelight for a little while, and then he goes back, and I think he goes back and he works his ass off. Yeah, I, I really think he does. Uh, but he definitely he, does. Yeah, definitely I mean, he wouldn't does. be where he's at if he didn't, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but everybody judges him by you know what he he does out here. Well, but, listen, what he did was make a hundred million dollars fighting against the greatest right. boxer of all time for his first did professional well. boxing match, and did well. Did well, yeah, yeah, and won a couple of rounds, which is fucking crazy. Yeah. You know, that's fucking crazy. Right. I mean, I think Floyd I think, took off. I, th- I think the he vast did. majority of people could uh, of good fighters could win around against Floyd just because Floyd. I don't know if I say gives him away, but. You know he's gonna feel you. He's he, you know I mean he's that's the way he fights. He's he's mm-hmm. fought everybody like that. You yeah, know? and he rarely wins the first few rounds. Agreed. Yeah, but but that's w- not taking away nothing from Connor. Though. He, he didn't want to get clipped by that left uppercut. That wasn't <laughs> not. that wasn't on his right. plans. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just think the what I'm talking about is like the commentators and a lot of the journalists, and you see less of it today because I Stephen think Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, that kind of style. There's a style, and this is their shtick. Their shtick is mocking people and creating controversy. Yeah. And I, that's why I say I don't think MMA is a sport. I think it's more intense. It's, you're emptying out out there. You know, when, when you see a fight, you know, and it's a crazy-ass war like Robbie Lawler, Rafael Dos Anjos, where it's just five rounds of chaos – to to diminish either one of these guys as a man, as a human being, based on their performance, to mock them or belittle them, I just don't think it has any place in that. I think it's, it's a way more intense and way more personal experience for those guys. It's, so not, it's not playing baseball. It's not... It's not fucking Bill Buckner dropping a ball. It's not. That's not what it is, man. It's way more intense. If you got a guy who's a lazy football player who doesn't run fast enough, you want to mock him, that's whatever. You go ahead and do that. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But you want to make fun of a guy who's literally putting his health on the line in, a, in an occupation where you're competing against a motherfucking trained killer, and you guys are going to throw bones at each other for five-minute rounds. you got to have some respect. You have to have respect, or you shouldn't be talking about it. You should have some understanding of it. You should know what the fuck you're watching, and you should have some respect. And if you want to say that a guy should retire, if you want to say that a guy has probably seen his better days, that's fine. But have some respect. This is a different thing, man. It is not a regular sport. I agree. And I I would say also that um, they have no right to be saying things that they've never done, right? Yeah. I mean, mean, you – you you just can't you don't have to compete right like like you do jujitsu and muay thai and shit and like you get such a more in-depth knowledge about what they're truly going through right or, and what's happening by just experiencing it a little bit right there's that and there's also i think if you've never really been punched in the face and you're you're talking about guys getting punched in the face like you really don't even understand the experience <laughs> or if you never even worse, I mean, you've been never been punched in the face, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like you've been, right? You've been. I mean, the worst I ever had. I went down to Cuba for a little while and I trained with the Olympic boxing team down When'd there. When'd you do this? Um, 2012, I think. 
Yeah, I think it. Yeah. What was? How did this come about? Was uh, that? Was it even legal to go down there back then? Did you go on a raft? Uh, <laughs> How'd you get down there? Um, I think I'm past the. Uh, what would they call statue it? of limitations? Statue of limitations. Uh, it's actually illegal to spend money there, so I didn't spend any money there. But <laughs> I, I went there, and it, I guess it's not illegal to actually go there. So we went through Mexico City. You go to Mexico City, then you buy a flight in Mexico City and go wow. over there. My uh, one of my coaches I worked with for a long time on and off is a Cuban, and he grew up there. And he we went there together. He's a part of the. Um, he used to coach the wrestling team, so I went there and trained with the wrestlers. Uh, for six, eight weeks, and we'd go over to the boxing team every now and then. Well, I, I went with one guy. He was a two-time gold medalist, I think, and I've never seen boxing like that in my life. I mean, I've never felt anything, and there's nothing I could do, nothing. I mean, I tried every fucking trick in the book. I tried every athletic move. I'd Hands up, hands down, hands aside, whatever, nothing. I mean, I've never seen boxing. And, I mean, two-time gold medalist. I mean, he he was an amazing, amazing boss. I can't remember his name or anything, but and you know, just never experienced anything like it. And it was the same with the wrestlers. I mean, I went with uh, some guys that um, I got to go with Mihan Lopez. Uh, he's heavyweight, of course. Greco. I don't know if you know who he is greatest uh, Greco next to Carolyn, um, rivaling Carolyn and the greatest ever. Um, uh, you know, I went with this guy Ivan Fundor, who you had been asking last week. He was a guy who uh, I think I think he was the guy that Askren couldn't get past for the Olympics. And I know that uh, Fundor beat him, but um, he teched him. So you know, Askren's you know amaz- as amazing as he is. I mean, that's how much better Fundor is. Yeah, to explain teched him for people is fifteen. Was it fifteen points? Um, I don't know what it is in international. Actually, I think it's, I thought it was like nine or ten, but whatever. You got to get, so you get, you gotta that get way far ahead. ahead of someone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he he worked him over. Um, you know, so I got to work with these just uh, amazing guys. Uh, but the boxing, you know, that's what we were talking about. And I mean, I, I've literally ne- to to experience like this guy is punching you, and there's nothing you can do. Yeah, nothing. You don't have. To, we're in a little ring, and I mean, you don't have a choice. So you can get out of the ring, or you can get punched. You're that, just getting. That's your only choice. Just getting boxed up, boxed up, and, and I mean, and, he, and he's moving, you know, like Sanchai, relaxed yeah. and chilled, and he's like, "What do you want? You know, you, yeah. you gonna fucking do something or what?" And, uh, wow, I mean, not talking to me like that, but 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 yeah. doing it with his motions, yeah, 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 yeah. terrible. But yeah. Uh, what an amazing place, though, man. You know, I feel really bad for those people. The um, what an experience, man. Just a different world. You feel like you're going back in the fifties. Where'd you eat over there? How do you eat? Uh, so we stayed with Ivan Fundora and his wife would actually cook for us every day. Um, but there's restaurants and stuff too. I mean, it's like a dollar or two. And we went to this one place just about every day. There was a, they'd serve a big bowl of spaghetti, like this big around and this big, just a gigantic bowl for like a dollar. Wow. Had uh, chicken on top. They don't, um, they don't have really have red meat. I guess it's only for the wealthy or for the top people. I, I don't know if it's illegal or something, but. Um, but what, to witness the, uh, uh, Levon Lopez is who we stayed with originally. So to witness the way they live was really fascinating. Cause so in their wrestling dorms, they have, uh, it's like six stories high. We had to walk to the bottom to get a five gallon bucket of water to take a bath. They had no running water upstairs. Take a bath. That's how you brush your teeth. That's how you do everything. The guys on the top floor are the first level, first team, the varsity team, so to speak, uh, you know, the first level guys, um, they get, uh, four meals a day, and they get uh, air conditioning in the room. The guys right below them, the second team, they got three meals a day, 
and no air conditioning. Whoa. So these guys are literally fighting for their food and for, uh, uh, you know, for the next level. And, I mean, I've seen fights break out. I've seen guys trying to hurt each other in the wrestling room. Um, I mean, it's fucking intense day in, day out, man. They have some incredible genetics over there, too. Incredible. That's, you look at a incredible. guy like Yoel Romero. That motherfucker yeah. looks like he was made in a lab somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like some scientists just spliced together all the perfect attributes. And, and just to be clear, like, don't quote me on that. Like, that's kind of how I heard through, you know, like translation. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I, I maybe if, if I got something wrong, I don't want some, you know, a bunch of Cubans trying to beat me up for quoting right. it wrong or anything. But, um, what is like I said, it's an amazing place, man. And those guys are just, they're fighting for their food, man. And I seen I seen one kid. He was the cousin of Levon Lopez. Levon's a bronze medalist and probably should have been gold medalist. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to. The Olympics have a lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff that people don't know about. That yeah, I'm not sure if I'm really at liberty to speak out about in public. You know, because it's rumors, right? No, there's facts. Like what? There's certainly facts. Well, I said I, I'm right. not sure that I can really talk about it in public. I wouldn't want to hurt any of I see any saying. of those guys. But um, you know, his cousin came from uh, Pinar del Rio, which we went out there one day, and that was <laughs> that is a good story. So we got out to Pinar del Rio, it's like two hours from Havana, and we took a donkey cart to a fucking farm in the middle of nowhere. We go back, uh, probably five six acre farm we walk back through this horse field walking over shit and everything and then there's a uh i'll show you all these pictures that is too it's fascinating and uh there's a forest and as soon as you walk through the forest now it's a casino in the middle of a forest so i guess all this shit's illegal there's cock fights chicken fights in the fucking middle of the woods wow which is illegal in cuba so i got cock to do fights are illegal yeah so i got really? to uh you know, experience illegal chicken fights in an illegal country. and so, <laughs> But, yeah, we took the uh, the donkey cart out there, and, you know, we got stopped by the cops, actually. So I'm sitting there like, yeah, this is about to be really bad. <laughs> so <laughs> I never even told my wife that. But uh, So anyway, yeah, so we had Pinar del Rio. That's where Levon's cousin lived. So he actually saved his money, which, I mean, I think they get, like, everybody gets, like, the same amount, like the doctor and the the chef or, like, the waiter waiter whatever they all, they all get like the same money right um the thing is 30 bucks a month so he saved all this money their entire home smaller than this room right here uh four people living in there uh probably i would say about the size of these tables combined wow um anyway so his well, i was trying to get a, his cousin saved his money for like a whole year just so he could come train with the national team he came out there um didn't only had money to get there so Levon was sharing his meals with him, and um, so now he's only eating two meals a day instead of the three or, wow. or four, or, so, or maybe three meals instead of the four, something like that. But yeah, very, very fascinating. Just watching that, you know, you, we just forget what we have and how blessed our lives are, and humbling, uh, humbling, man. I mean, these, and these guys are just savages, man. Uh, um, just hard, hard workers, and getting the job done, and just getting nothing for it. Um, you know some of the guys at the top, like Mihan Lopez, he gets uh, some things like like Fundora, for instance. He got internet access. Like Whoa. that, that was like a a blessing for him to have internet access because he had done so much for the country in the Olympics. That's crazy. I think he was a bronze medalist. I think they hooked him up with the internet. He got hooked up with the internet, and I still email him every now and then. Like he'll send me pictures of his family and stuff. And wow. and you can and it said it's something like a you know Fundora at cubagovernment.net or something like that you know what i mean it's like a so it goes through the government so the government tracks every email coming in and out 
So, yeah. Wow. So, so he would even tell me, like, before I left, you know, like, like don't email me this or this. Like, right, don't right. talk about this. And Wow. Yeah, I think it's maybe laxed up a little bit, but I'm not sure. Man. So, yeah. I can tell you a lot of stories about it. It, it was really a, a very eye-opening experience. Like, like I want to take my kids there sometime, like, just to see, like, look you want to fucking what if you grew up here motherfucker yeah you know? no shit right you know be happy you know you yeah. got what you got and yeah yeah i mean those kids so one of the pictures I, I could show you would be the the wrestling room in pinar del rio i think yo romero came from there actually um mahan came from there levon came from there and their wrestling room is actually probably about as big as this room and it's a dirt floor with the the mats are you know so if, so if you imagine a, a mat getting uh, dissolved in water and like all the little pieces mm-hmm. just spread out so they they sweep up all those pieces put them in a uh, it's about as big as this table here they, they sweep it all together and stack it up and that's their mat so they just practice you know basically take down stuff and that's why they're so hard to take down like they learn from a young age like you get taken down it fucking sucks wow yeah I can show you a picture of it I mean it's really fascinating. Wow. How long were you over there for? Um, six to eight weeks. I can't remember. Oh, like that's that, yeah. a long time. Yeah, we, we stayed for a long time. And we did basically the whole training camp over there. For which fight? Uh, Jordan Mean. Wow. And that was, um, so that was when I first started working with that guy. And, and, you know, the first thing he said was like, you need better wrestling. Let's go to Cuba. Holy shit. I said, all right, let's go. Wow. And so I wrestled with those guys every day. Um, my wrestling came up tremendously. Oh, I'd imagine. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no way sink or swim. Um, and then, like I said, I got to work with the boxing team. And the boxing team, I mean, the wrestling is one thing, but uh, I've seen a lot of the junior boxing team guys. I've seen one kid get kicked off the boxing team. Like, they take their boxing very, very serious over there, right? That's their national sport. Um, one kid got kicked off the team because he wasn't keeping up, and they were doing – they had to get up at like 5 a.m. do like an eight-mile run or something, and they put you know water bottles like this, and they fill it up with sand, and that's their dumbbells. And the kid didn't have any shoes, but he couldn't keep up, and they were doing hill sprints, and he kept falling behind. They're like, you're off the team. Whoa. So they would do like a 5 a.m., and then they go to school, and then they do an afternoon workout, and then they go back to school, and then they do an evening workout. And they live in these dorms, and that's literally all they do. That, that's their entire life. Wow. And they want to get out they you know, or live a better life, you know, they be a champion or die. Holy shit. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, um, I, I was looking at all this or, or, or learning all this through translation. So, uh, you know, I could have some things not uh, exactly right. But, you know, I was I was living there with them for a little while. Have you but, wanted to go to Thailand? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah. You know, my thing is. Uh, so like when I did that, my kids were very young and it wasn't so bad to leave them with their mom for a little while. Now mm-hmm. I have. Uh, you know, now I have three kids. Specifically, my daughter. It's just hard to leave, right? And and uh, to fly to Thailand. Have you never been there? No, no. So yeah, to to fly there, you know, is expensive, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I I don't want to leave. I just can't leave my family. Anymore. But there's places you can go and bring them. Like Phuket's yeah. supposed to be nice, right? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. And again, the flights, you know, is what's expensive. Once right. you get there, it's it's cheap, right? But the flight, I mean, a thousand dollars per person. You know, I'm looking at five thousand dollars, right? Just right. to fly there. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to, but that's my the nice thing about having Dorian. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Now, are you living in Colorado still, or are yep. you here? Yeah, so I live in Colorado right now, and then I'm coming back and forth a lot, coming to, to LA. Here. Yeah, doing a lot of work with the Muscle Farm. Because Muscle Farm's opening up their main headquarters now in Burbank. Is that what yep. it's going to be? Yep, so they moved Why'd here. Why did you decide to move here? Um, 
Well, the CEO lives here, for one thing, and I think uh, they're going to attract a lot more athletes here, and I right. think that they're going to be able to do a much bigger thing. And, and really what they're doing is they're restructuring the entire business. They're kind of moving away from just simply being, uh, um, you know, well, they change like from Muscle Farm to MP, for instance. So it's not just for the uh, bodybuilder type crowd and the, excuse me, for the meatheads and, the, you know, and without, you know, I mean, they'll certainly still be catering to the, that crowd, but uh, now they want to open it up more as a, a lifestyle brand, expand it, and they'll be doing a lot more stuff with a lot more athletes, which I think they'll be able to do out here better than in Denver. But now, as a guy who's trained at sea level and you lived at Denver, mm-hmm. um, what? how much of a benefit is it to be at that 5,500 feet uh, Pros and cons. What's the con? Well, the number one con is that you can't, uh, your max capacity is lower. So you can't work as hard. You can't work as hard. Right. But now, do you, how once mu- you get adapted, though? You know, I've, I've been a little torn with that because I tell you, when I do my max capacity training, um, I don't think I've been able to reach the same levels that I was at sea level. Um, I've heard other people say that they are able to. Um, my PRs, uh, you know, in terms of lifts, uh, have been comparable. Um, but, of course, I was at Westside before, so it's not, right. you know, <laughs> I mean, you're just not – I tell you what, you walk into West Side, like you hit a PR, right. period. Like it, you don't, it, it doesn't matter. It's just a, there's an energy in the air. There's an aura. It's an intense place. Yeah, you've been there. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you probably hit a PR, but <laughs> if you worked out. <laughs> um, again, there's, there's pros and cons. I mean, the obvious pro is the red blood cell count, and I think your lung capacity goes up. But, yeah. Um, the idea, they say, is to sleep at altitude, but to train at exactly. sea level. Exactly. And it's so that you yeah. can. Uh, push your max capacity at sea level and then recover. Yeah, so if like yeah. if you're in California, you would live in Big Bear, but then you would train down in like San Bernardino or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know. I don't even know California well enough to know that how that works. Well, but. Big Bear is pretty close. You get to oh, Big yeah. Bear in two hours. Yeah, you could drive there. Yeah, right it's now. funny that people out here say that's close. <laughs> like, <laughs> like to me, two hours is a long ass way. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's close as fuck here. Two hours yeah. to take you that long to get to Irvine in traffic. <laughs> that's what everybody says. If I, I got to work in Irvine, like if I'm doing the improv and it's an eight o'clock show, I leave here at four. <laughs> but I'm not bullshitting. I leave here at four p.m. and I'm stuck in traffic for two and a half fucking hours. No bullshit. So everybody I give myself here listens a to podcasts, huh? Yeah, podcasts, uh, audio books, you know, anything, mm-hmm. anything. Just keep your mind off that fucking, those red lights in front of you. <laughs> right. Break so lights. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Like, you, you yeah. can go around the outer belt in, like, an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys have terrible traffic. It's like, oh, I was talking traffic for 10 minutes. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. 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 Well. Yeah. I mean, Denver's pretty cons. bad now, actually. All uh, that weed. Yeah, all the weed, man. People just, <laughs> everybody just went there. Yeah. Last time I was there, I was like, what the fuck is going on here with all this traffic? <laughs> it's just weed. Uh, apparently, I, I guess it's actually been growing for years like that anyway. But, the, man, when you go skiing, that's the worst, man. You come back from the ski resort mm-hmm. Sunday, 4 or 5 o'clock, dude. It's like, I, I just did it the other week. And it took me three and a half hours for a, a one and a half hour drive. That's so, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, Denver's just it's an amazing city because you're in you're in this cool city that's a real city a legit city and then right outside is the fucking rocky mountains it's Mm -hmm. right there right there you drive an hour 
and you're in the Rocky Mountains. Yep. I mean, fucking wilderness, Jack. Elk screaming and bears running around. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. I what s- other city has that? An hour outside the city, you're in the fucking mountains. And it's sunny, too. Yeah. You, you get all four seasons, which I like. And the people are cool yeah. as fuck. Yeah, people are cool, yeah. This is one of the few places yeah. I would live outside of California. Well, you used to live there, right? Yeah, I lived in Boulder. Yeah. I'm not sure I would go Boulder, but well, I was in the mountains yeah. above Boulder. Oh, okay, yeah, I was like three thousand feet above Boulder. I was uh, eighty five hundred feet. It was nice. pretty interesting. Nice. Do you feel a difference? Yeah, man. Going yeah. up the stairs, you get tired. <laughs> it's crazy. It's I mean, so but thin. did you adapt to it and fell no, a difference? No, I was from, only from there that? for three months. My wife got oh, really? pregnant. Yeah, my wife got pregnant, uh, and uh, it's rough up there for women if they uh, haven't adapted. It's rough in. Denver, but then you go 3,000 feet course, above Denver, yeah. it's real rough. Yeah, I go it's up there just, all the time. Yeah, yeah if, if you're a woman and you get pregnant up there, it's like having the flu. Mm. It's real bad. And they have a really high instance of low birth weight and premature birth. I did not know that. Yeah. That Denver awesome. does as well. Denver has one of the highest rates in the country of premature births. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I was up at my friend's house out by Edwards, a little bit past Vail the other day, and like you were talking about the the elk and the bears and stuff. Woo. I mean, at, at nighttime, he said usually you shine a flashlight out and you see the eyes of the mountain lions. Yes, he's got dogs and and stuff, and they're just sitting there waiting. He he's got a fence now, but he's like you just see their eyes. They, there was one a story that I uh, tweeted out today in California where some fucking mountain lion was banging on this screen door or this uh, glass door trying to get at this dog in California. Yeah, they got pictures of this cat. Like, you don't want to mess with those guys. Fuck, man. <laughs> like, yeah, one of them ate my dog. A bear is one thing. Oh, really? Yeah, one of them ate my dog in Gold Hill. This fucking mountain lion, man. Right outside these people's house, trying to get at their little dog. Ugh. Yeah, they took pictures of it. That, and it's killed a bunch of pets in the neighborhood, apparently. They have a real problem with them in California because they don't hunt them. So they're not scared mm. of people at all. And, and that's know, the problem with California, right? They're against everything mm-hmm. that I'm for. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're against Except quite for a few legalizing things. weed. It's ignorance based. They have an idea of what a mountain lion is, and that these are these majestic creatures, and they shouldn't be hunted. And what they would like to do is eliminate all hunting and let nature sort it out on their own. Yeah. But yet they have grocery stores everywhere they, where they have food <laughs> that's murdered animals that are factory farmed. It's the stupidest fucking shit ever. You're not going to turn the whole state into vegetarians. So this mm-hmm. idea that you're not you're going to eliminate hunting is so fucking stupid. It's like you would rather people they, they're trying to do that, trying to eliminate hunting, or the people yeah. that are the most radical wildlife activists would like to eventually eliminate hunting and have all these animals sorted out with themselves in a natural way but they're never going to eliminate people eating meat 97 percent of the people in this country eat meat so that's a real number so this idea that you're going to somehow or another change those 97 percent based on the desires of the three percent which fluctuate back and forth by the way Mm -hmm. the three percent there's a lot of those three percent that fall off and they eventually for health reasons go back to eating meat again or eat some animal products these fish Animals are fucking awesome. I love the fact they're real. I love that they're out there. But if you think that it's okay to have tons of mountain lions, I have a buddy who works at Tahone Ranch. They got a um, trail camera over there over a pond. They got photos of 16 different mountain lions visiting this pond. Yeah. What? <laughs> Fuck, man. That's intense. And yeah. this, this is all because in the 1990s, they outlawed hunting of them. Mm. It doesn't make, they, they didn't do it for any rational I mean, reason. A, a mountain lion is an apex predator, right? It's an apex predator and that you can eat them and they're delicious. They taste oh, like really? pork. Yeah. 
Yeah, my friend Steve shot one recently. He said it was one of the most delicious meals he's ever had in his life. I'll have to try it. Yeah, they have delicious fat that you, you cook them. And really? You cook it just like pork. I never would have thought that. I never would have thought they're in a cat family, right? Yeah, it's weird eating a yeah. cat. Yeah. But apparently they're delicious. Probably have before. Yeah, well. Yeah. Unknowingly. But it's just to control the population to keep them from. Yeah. It's a good luck finding a deer in California. There's so you few ever feel deer like, like when you walk into the grocery store and you see the meat aisle, like you just see animals sitting there? You know what I mean? Because you see, I mean, the meat aisle is gigantic, as big as this wall. Yeah. And like when I see it, I just see a bunch of animals. I'm yeah. Like, man, like none of these were. Treated right, raised right, killed right, and now they're packaged like there's some glorious, amazing food. Well, it's just so, it's too sanitized and sterilized. Yeah. It's weird. And especially as someone who's killed animals and quartered them up in the mm-hmm. field and carried them away and cut them up and put them and wrapped them and vacuum sealed them and put them in my freezer and then thawed them out and ate them. Like, I've been there through the whole process, so I look at the whole thing totally different now. When I yeah. go to the butcher section, it's just... I did that when I was like... 10 years old (laughs) yeah so you've been doing it forever yeah well i haven't hunted since i was like a teenager but but you have and you know it so yeah i just think i mean we used to raise chickens and like my dad would be like go kill a chicken for dinner like that was like my job sometimes so yeah same thing you know especially when you know like you raise the animal too right you become kind of you know have some compassion for it yeah yeah you you realize the chickens in particular uh i mean in way more so with cattle and pigs like you realize pigs are very smart you know they're they're intelligent and and like a dog yeah yeah i mean i feel like uh i i know that technically they're that smart right but uh there's something different about dogs right like, yeah <laughs> yeah for whatever reason yeah there's something different about it. maybe for just us. maybe just my bias from what i've been taught from from uh society or whatever yeah but, culturally right yeah yeah we have but, animals that we like better yeah yeah, yeah. certainly yeah i mean i felt terrible like killing some of the pigs yeah i'd imagine yeah and then you eat them and uh, you know personally i mean i always thought the grocery store sausage and bacon tasted way better (laughs) but (laughs) but i was like man that was sort of my excuse i was like man it doesn't taste good i'm not sure if i want to eat it but in my head i'm thinking like man i really feel bad for this guy i don't want to eat them (laughs) you know yeah no i know what you mean man it's we have a weird disconnect with food in this country in particular, and especially in this day and age, mm-hmm. when you have a, a majority of the people eating meat and the majority of people never seen the animal die and then get chopped up and turned into meat and then eat it, it's, uh, there's always going to be this weird disconnect. And that's How what do you, you change that, though? <sighs> Boy, I don't know. I don't know if you can. I just think it's one of the weird it's, – it's, I don't think – I think this society is an amazing thing. What we've, what we've accomplished where you don't have to ever worry about food. You can just go down the store, right down the street here, and get a steak and cook it and instantaneously. You don't have to kill it. You don't have mm-hmm. to dress it. You don't have to – all these steps have been avoided. You just give them a piece of paper. That piece of paper gets you a steak. It's just – it's amazing. You know, you could yeah. go to a store down the corner over here and you can get gasoline. Some motherfucker had to go to the Middle East – Pull oil out of the ground, refine it, put it in tanker trucks, drive it across the country, pump it into a hole in the ground. You swipe a, swipe a piece of plastic through this reader. The, the, it, you punch in your area code or your zip code, whatever the fuck it is. What is it? Your zip code, right? Zip code. You, yeah. you put the <laughs> nozzle in your tank. You fill your tank up with gas, this fucking car that's designed by engineers in a way you would never be able to figure out on your own and you get to turn the key and drive this thing around there's so many steps 
that have been taken to make our lives way mm-hmm. more convenient. You don't even have to do all that anymore. You, you have this thing in your hand. You just push a button and some, some dude, dude shows gonna up. show up at your fucking door <laughs> with food. Yeah. Or some <laughs> dude with a car and drives you anywhere you want to go. Yeah, drive yeah. you where you go. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's, he, shows, in- he shows up with the animal that's been... You know, slaughtered and, and cooked and cooked and yeah. sterilized, and you ain't got to worry about if it's healthy or not. No. Like when I was in Cuba, they had, like I said, the red meat is, you know, I don't know if it's illegal or or just very hard to come by or, or whatever. But so we went to this sort of black market stand, and man, I got a picture of it. I mean, it's a table bigger than this table of just red meat sitting out. There's flies on it, and wow. but people are just like, dude, yes, I want some. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's all the different cuts and everything. Not yeah, you know, cut up just terribly. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, we're lucky as shit, man. And this is the easiest time ever to be alive. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, at least in America. Yeah, at I least mean, in America. Yeah, maybe not yeah. in some places. No, I think that's why it's good to visit other places, man. Just to just to get a look around and see what it's like. You that's know? that's one of my the reasons I want to go to Thailand. Like, I want to go there and train, but only so much. I mean, there's. Like I think that so much of the the Thai uh, uh, skill training is already in America that it's not gonna. You might get some details or whatever over there, but they're they're also so traditional and so far behind us in terms of uh, you know at least in strength conditioning and, mm-hmm. and proper ways of training and things like that. Right. That I, I don't know how beneficial that is, but I want to go over there and see how they live. I mean, they eat spiders and you know these insects, and, and most people are ultra poor over there, and you know, but. You know they're all they're really Buddhist, right? And they, mm-hmm. I guess they kind of um, you know they drop their kids off at the freaking Thai camp and just leave. <laughs> like, yeah, you know it's very strange to us. Yeah, yeah, so I find it fascinating. Yeah, I do too. I, I find it incredibly fascinating. You know, I talked to John Wayne Park quite a bit about his experiences over there. Mm-hmm. He went over there when he was real young and lived over there and lived in Thai camps, lived like a Thai. Mm-hmm. Incredible stories, you know. Mm. So it's it's just a very unique culture. It just it, it helps you appreciate where you live and puts things into mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there in uh, what's that? Japan. You've been there, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, I've been in Japan. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinated the shit out of me, too. People, it's like being in a foreign land that's also, like, on another planet. People uh, standing in line at the subway to yeah. get on the subway train. Yeah. <laughs> now, I was there for—we did, like, a military tour, and I was—I think uh, Todd Duffy was there, and uh, was it C.B. Dalloway, maybe? But, yeah— you could see Todd from you know <laughs> from, right. uh, over top of the crowd from like a mile right. away. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, it's interesting um, how polite they are over there. So polite. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's so yeah. much order and discipline. It's it's just completely fascinating. Yeah, I remember him on the subway train. They're standing in line. Yeah. Um, I I just wanted to walk to the front of the line. Fuck <laughs> 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 <Look>, you guys. <laughs> and you probably could have done it. And they probably wouldn't have even said anything. Or then we did another one in Iraq. Uh, or Middle East, I- Iraq was one of the places, or did we? I can't remember, but the Middle East. And man, those people will—they will shove you right out of the way, mm-hmm. right? Like you know, you you funneling in through the airport or something. Right, and they're the rudest people ever when it comes to you know standing in line. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, it, you know, you say something to them, oh, I don't speak English or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't, I don't speak your language either. So I guess we're fucked. <laughs> How many different countries have you fought in? Um, only, uh, only two. Yeah. I fought in the UK. Is it a big transition going over there? Like the, the weight cuts got to be harder and the finding the right food. When I fought over there, um, 
Yeah. The Waco wasn't that bad. No. Uh, you said finding the right a, food was terrible. You said you've been on a ketogenic diet. We were talking before mm-hmm. the podcast for the last, what, three years? About three years, yeah. yeah. It was after I fought uh, Johnny Hendricks, actually. And I suffered a concussion, and that was what originally got me on to the idea of doing a ketogenic diet. And then I fought uh, Robbie Lawler next. And why did the concussion get you on the idea of having? A well, ketogenic it's, it's diet? good for TBI and mm-hmm. concussion. I mean, they, that's the uh, theory, at least. I don't think they have a lot of proof. I, they, they, I know they have, they've done some research on mice, but not necessarily on humans. But they uh, and they how did you feel does. when you changed your diet? Um, in what sense? Like initially, was there a struggle? Oh yeah, the first couple of weeks is terrible. That keto flu thing. Yeah, yeah. I had it really bad, uh, but I didn't do it after the Hendricks fight. But I started reading about it then. And then when I fought Lawler, I missed weight. Um, I think it was like half a pound or something. That was the only time I've ever missed weight in my life. I did everything exactly like I had done a hundred times before. Me and uh, my coach Tom Barry uh, at Westside Barbell, we we had everything planned out. We had a notebook of you know this is what we eat this day, this day, this day. And this day, this moment, and everything's planned out. We did everything exactly the same. Um, ended up, you know, still missing weight, and um, I, that was when I realized my metabolism had changed. So I started looking more and more into different uh, types of diets. So I've always been my own guinea pig. That's sort of a blessing and a curse for my. Um, well, that's why you know I want to be a coach because I've. Uh, I think I'll make a 10 times better coach than I was a fighter because I've experimented on myself. I've, that's why I have all these books and everything. And the problem with that, right, is that, you know, you get a bad info too, or you misinterpret it, misunderstand it. And maybe it's for regular people and I'm a high level athlete, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, um, I, I used it, uh, for one, for the concussion and two, to, uh, sort of a metabolic shift into, uh, more fats. And uh, I haven't missed weight since. So, did you feel any benefit of switching to a ketogenic diet in terms of performance? Um, you know, I actually felt a lack of benefit. Actually, so some of the max capacity lowered immediately. Some of my PRs went down um, over time. Did they time. come back up? Yeah, they came back up. Yeah. So, so how long? When did they go down? Like how how long? Uh, right after? away. Like right with, away. within yeah within the first week or two. I mean, right. they're it completely takes shot. A few months to really truly adapt. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then. And what I've done now over time is I've adapted the diet to, um, you know, a, a lot of I do a lot of different things now. So I'm not as ketogenic as I once was, where it was all keto, keto, keto. Now I don't even pay attention to my ketones. Well, I take that ketone ester like we took earlier. Mm-hmm. I take that a lot, which I fucking love. You probably feel it right now. Yeah. Like, like shit's amazing. It tastes uh, like sucking on Godzilla's dick. <laughs> It does. It's like, Worse. Yeah, maybe. It's like, whoa. Yeah, it's terrible. Whoa. Terrible. But I use that, and then I use uh, you know, regular uh, keto salt supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one, you know, for performance, actually brings my performance up higher than uh, than I would usually go. Do you take that ketone ester before you train? Yeah. How, so, how long before you train? So I take it with some glucose, uh, usually about 20 minutes before I train. And you and use those glucose packets? Yeah. Who yeah. makes those packets? Uh, just whatever, at the grocery store, power mm-hmm. bar, or whatever. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, just it's just a matter of sugar. Yeah, you just have to make sure you have some sugar because of the hypoglycemic effects. Uh, it'll drop your blood sugar because really Because it's so potent. It's very, very potent. Like our ketones are probably in the three like i actually have my blood meter maybe we'll check but um, i'm probably in the three to five millimole range right now mm-hmm. um but yeah so you know I, I do that and then but now i've adjusted it where i'm not as concerned with staying in ketosis because the main concern with that is i want to get the benefits for the brain and um you know the tbi and things like that um now it's uh, i'm 
when I get closer to a fight, it's more about performance, right? So I'll add in some, I, I use like a Yukan starch. Um, I use um, uh, like sweet potatoes, you know, certain mm-hmm. starches that don't really affect your ketone levels uh, right. quite as much. Um, so that can bring my performance up uh, a lot better. Well, I think there's a real issue with high-level athletes with the amount of work output that you put in that you probably need more carbohydrates than the regular person that's on a ketogenic diet. I've been, I've been uh, again, on my own guinea pig, right? And I mm-hmm. experiment with that. And I've been, man, I've been kind of torn with that, right? So one of the things that, that uh, are a lot of people kind of promulgate is that our sport is very anaerobic and it's really not. It's a lot more aerobic and your aerobic capacity will go up on keto. Your aerobic, uh, your, my ability to recover specifically, um, without, even with no carbs, my, my blood glucose could be in seventies and eighties and, um, not have carbs for weeks at a time. And my ability to recover goes up tremendously. Mm. Uh, like we were talking about tendonitis, my tendonitis goes away. Uh, my injuries, my joints just feel better. I, I feel better all the way around. My brain feels better. And uh, um, a lot of things like that, but the uh, the but when you do need to kick in that mass capacity anaerobic part of things, that's where you know things uh, suffer a little bit. Suffer, yeah, and, and that's where you have to add in the carbs and and. But again, you know the the amount of training that I do. I mean, I can add in a lot of carbs and I can still get away with it and stay. Right. And I can even stay in ketosis if if I want to. But I think a lot of people make the mistake that I made originally. Again, as my own guinea pig, and and I really focused on the blood ketone levels rather than the performance, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be able to perform with high ketogenic levels, or you know, high ketone levels, um, in my blood, and it's not really necessary, right? Like it, it should be solely performance based, right, right, you right. know. But yeah, it did it did help me cut weight, though. I thought it was also. fascinating what Ben Greenfeld was saying. We were talking about it before the podcast about how he would carb up and then take ketone supplements. So he had the benefit mm-hmm. of having a lot of carbohydrates in his system, but also having a lot of ketones in his system. Mm-hmm. And he said he felt like a fucking animal. Yeah, and that's you know pretty similar to probably how we feel right now. I and mean, that's totally legal. Yeah. That's, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not. And I tell you, like when I take it, uh, it, it does amazing things for me. Um, man, I, I've so I've heard stories of people when they take this ester that they'll pull out moves like they haven't done in ten years, like they recalls these moves. And um, I've done things where uh, when I do it, I feel like I'm five, six years younger. I mean, it's done some fascinating things. Just for taking me. that drink, just that we taking drink. the ester with some. Uh, um, so <laughs> get digging out of the trash, pulling it out here. Yeah, ketone aid. Yeah, ketone aid, ketone ester. Yeah, and it looks like you're a scientist, like this <laughs> Breaking Bad type shit. Ke. The thing with it, it's extremely expensive, and they're working on getting the. Uh, it's it's like burnt rubber. Yeah, it's they're like, working on getting the um uh, the cost down. I think it's thinking. How much are these things? Uh, I'm not sure, but I think it's like thirty dollars a gram. And that's like 40 grams, I think. That's incredible. I I could be off on that. I'm not sure. but That's quite pricey. I I heard that the uh, UK cycling team used it. They paid like $6,000 for, you know, however much, just a a small amount. And they used it for the, when they won the Tour de France, actually. Wow. Yeah, that's what I heard. I don't know how true it is, but I believe it. I mean, this shit does amazing things for you, but Yeah. So the keto, I mean, again, it can be used, if used properly, I think it can do a lot of benefits. I would recommend to all um, combat athletes, NFL players over, 
you know, that, that have, have taken concussions, taken hits to the brain, or, or that are over a certain age where your metabolism changes. I mean, that's where my biggest benefit was. And even uh, TJ was talking about TJ Dillish, I was talking with him about it. His coach had him switch over because he was burning primarily carbohydrates. Well, especially he, now, TJ is going to try to make 125. Yeah. I, and I don't know if. Uh, um, I, he was talking to me about long before that was ever talked about. So, mm-hmm. but he, you know, he did some uh, tests on him and found that he's burning all carbohydrate all the time, which can be an issue in, yeah. in long training sessions specifically. So he switched it up a bit. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think he's going full keto, but I think he's doing something similar to like what I'm doing, where the he's doing keto with uh, you know some carbohydrates still, and he's using the so basically like the only carbohydrates that we need as an athlete is for the workout, right? We don't right. need them after that, um, you know, maybe for recovery, um, which is again I think it's debatable, but um, you know, carbohydrate is not a necessary substance to even live. You know, you could live your entire life without eating a carbohydrate and be perfectly fine so. yeah there's a lot of guys that are doing this carnivore diet now i've heard of this yeah, yeah. mark yeah, yeah. bell told me he's never felt better he's really? he's doing that shit now yeah yeah he's he's eating nothing so but steak just really? eat steak all day no just, sausage or bacon <laughs> well he eats bacon too but it's mostly meat hmm. he's eating mostly meat mostly meat so what, yeah. no vegetables a little bit every now and then but most of what he's eating is just meat see i i, I feel completely different when i load up my vegetables even even a day or two, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you feel this? I, I mean, feel better. Yeah, it just, I lo- I, I'm a big fan. Everything. Of, I just I love uh, drinking it too. You know, I love getting like real rich green leafy vegetable juice, mm-hmm. and uh, I drink a lot of kale shakes. Where I'll take a goddamn bushel of kale that you're never gonna sit down and eat. You're never mm-hmm. gonna eat that much kale. I'll blend that motherfucker up with a giant chunk of ginger and garlic. I'll throw an apple in there and a bunch of coconut oil. And I'll fucking <laughs> throw some celery in there, and I'll drink it, and it's woo. I think I've seen that on YouTube. You put like a pear yeah. in there too, right? Yeah, well, maybe a pear, maybe an apple. apple okay, I'll mix okay. it up. Sometimes I put peaches or a pineapple in there too. You put the whole thing in with the seeds and everything, or yeah, cut it up? fucking throw that bitch in nice, there, and you don't grind care. it up, and just—it's nice. all performance. It doesn't taste good. Right, it right. Tastes like shit. <laughs> you know, it's like I've had people try to drink it, and they're like, oh. Oh, I can't. Dude, I got to try this. But, yeah. dude, I drink it and I feel like a fucking gorilla. How much garlic you put in A there? lot. Like four or five cloves. That's... It's rough. I just eat cloves now. Yeah, I do so. that too. Yeah. I eat a lot of cloves. Yeah. yeah. Where it burns when it's going down. Yeah. Like, yikes. You, but you can feel it, right? Like within mm-hmm. like an hour or two. You're like, damn, there's something in there, man. Especially if I'm feeling anything, like I'm feeling a little sick, mm. I'm feeling a little funky, like I'm kind of feeling a little worn down, maybe it's going around, I'll just chomp on some garlic. You ever tried chaga root? No. I did this. I did it. Well, I've only actually only done it one time when I was sick. My whole family got sick. Kids, you you've been there, right? Yeah. Kids are miserable. All of us are laying down like we're laying around like we're in the hospital. You know, every couple of seconds you hear a cough, and we're just laying there miserable. And I was the only one that did the chaga root. I put it in a crock pot, put uh, you know like ten little chunks in there, and I was the only one that didn't get sick or didn't stay sick very long. I stayed sick for like a day. Huh. Or two, maybe. Chaga root. Yeah. And what's supposed to be the benefit of this stuff? Ah, man. I don't want to butcher this. Mm. Google it. <laughs> Google it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I, I mean, it's an immune system enhancer. It's like a. It, I heard it from my friend who's a survivalist specialist expert. Huh. And he, like, he teaches the, these classes, you know, where you go out and live off the of land and things oh. like that, right? And, um, you know, he gets it from like Maine or Canada, and it's like this fungus that grows on trees. And it's really, really hard, and they, they chop it off, and then you can you grind it up, put it in a tea or something, and huh. 
supposedly, you know, it's really good for your immune system. Well, How does it make you feel? I don't feel anything. I didn't feel any difference at all. I mean, I'm sitting there drinking it like this is some bullshit, but I'm drinking it anyway. <laughs> you know, I'll try it. You know, my my guy told me so. Um, you know, and that's obviously that's very anecdotal, and it was like right. one instance. And I just I just got sick a couple uh, weeks ago, and I completely forgot about it. And I was sick for like two weeks, but. You anyway. had a you had a pretty significant back injury at one point, right? A herniated disc, yeah. Yeah. How yep. did you fix that? Um, I guess it's never really fixed, fixed, right? Um, I got a epidural steroid injection first because I wanted to make the fight. It's when I was supposed to fight Condit the first time. It's like two weeks out of the fight. And does it, what is the epidural steroid? Does it relax the area and loosen the inflammation? It's a, a, a corticosteroid. Right. Yeah, so it, it gets rid of the inflammation. It took mine, um, we did it on a Friday. This was like two weeks out of the fight. Um, so what had happened is about four weeks out of the fight is when I originally heard it. And, you know, I'm like, I'm going to fucking suck it up and do it. I think you said you herniated this, so you know what it feels yeah. like, right? And I, yeah. I'm going to suck this shit up and I'm going to get through it. And, you know, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> I could barely even hit pads, right? Um, well, I eventually ended up, you know, going to a, a – well, actually, so this is part of my problem with chiropractors, right? So I went to a chiropractor first, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know – crack it and it's all good you know and all this kind of uh garbage anyway i ended up seeing a pain specialist and he f knew what it was within 30 seconds yeah anyway so i got the epidural steroid and it didn't work right away so i had to get a second one later so it, yeah the second time masks though, the issue right does it mask the issue? Yeah, or is it I, th I think it reduces some of the inflammation, so some yeah. of the problems of it. Yeah, so that's. I mean, he he told me that he said, you know, look, we're, we're going to get you to the fight. This is uh, the best way to get you to the fight, right? And, but it didn't work well enough the first time, so I ended up getting a second one, and it worked very well the second time. But then, of course, as you know, having a herniated disc, uh, it, it just took years to uh, correct it. You know, and I mean, I work on it all the time now. If I if I don't keep on it then i will uh feel the the effect i'll feel the issues right yeah especially in jujitsu right that's the worst i mean is it your lower back yeah yeah, yeah it's l5 i think did you use louis simmons uh reverse hyper mm -hmm. did you use that machine did that of course help? yeah yeah of course I, I do tons of the reverse hyper all mm -hmm. the time um I mean, I have a whole routine that I do pretty much after pretty much every workout just to strengthen your back yep yep for uh back and hips uh a lot of my personal uh, problem was my hip mobility mm -hmm. and uh so i do the hips uh, uh abs obliques uh my psoas gets real tight so i have to lay on a fucking kettlebell you, right and right do right. that thing and, yeah uh, my hip flexors um but um you know i, I start working with this a strength and conditioning coach uh, now that man you know he does he works wonders for me now, Man. you have your own line of shit, and you sent us a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. You sent us some fucking cool hammers, and and uh, you got mm -hmm. wheelbarrows and a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. What was your thought process behind – what was the name of the company? Uh, Immortal Combat Equipment, ICE. And is it on uh, online, immortalcombatequipment.com? Yeah, so well, I have my website, immortalcombatequipment.co, and then uh, it's on Westside Barbell. We sell on there, distribute through them, and EliteFTS.com. And um, basically the way that whole started was – There we go. Oh, there we go. Nice. Yeah, the way that whole started, whole thing started was with the the wheelbarrows. Uh, Louis had a a wheelbarrow that we was using all the time. That he's used for probably twenty years, and um, we. I was like, man, 
I, you know, I could build that thing's a piece of junk. It's been around here like 20 years. It's falling apart. And right. I said, you know, let me, let me build one. And uh, we built one. One person asked me to build one for him. I said, okay, cool. And then uh, another person asked me to build one for him. And then I said, man, I, mean, I should just start making these. And I'd had the ideas for the, uh, um, so I talked to an engineer and uh, we just started manufacturing them. And, uh, you know, just, it's sort of like a side project thing for me. So uh, something I want to get into uh, post uh, fight career, you know, right. like I said, so there's a few things I want to do, you know, for one strength conditioning, uh, coaching, martial arts coaching, uh, you know, do some stuff with muscle farm and, you know, I want to, uh, you know, be able to sell my equipment. Right. Um, the hammers I thought of for a long time. Um, I know like you guys do the maces, you know, these are mm-hmm. different than the maces. They're, they're actually a sledgehammer. Right. I'm sure if, if you swing a sledgehammer, it, it just doesn't make sense that you go to home Depot and you buy a shit ass 16 pound 20 pound sledgehammer or start at 15 pounds i'll probably make a 10 pound at some point maybe an eight or a seven or something and um you know they're usually they're square they're um you know doesn't make any sense right so we just made it specifically for swinging for training for yeah. training and, a good and, fat and then, handle yeah good fat handle and, and you see also uh it has a ball in the end in case it slips out so mm-hmm. it keeps it in your hand and it never made sense to me that i would see a uh, 200 pound man and 125 pound woman both swinging the sl- same sledgehammer. Right. Especially these 200 pound men that, you know, like me, like I, I swing the 30, 35 pound sledgehammer, which you got to try is just insanely hard, but you have to have the right technique and everything. Um, but, you know, I swing that for my workout and uh, for different, I mean, there's different things depending on. Are you going to expand you know, your line? Because yeah, you, you got absolutely, yeah. just the, right now, you got the sledgehammers and the wheelbarrow. So and, what else? and the grip balls. Now the grip balls, do they? Would you put them on like a carabiner or something like yep. that, and do chin ups with it? Yeah, connect it to anything. Actually, uh-huh. uh, if you see on that uh, video, we connect them to the wheelbarrow and carry the wheelbarrow uh, with them. Okay. I, I love doing that. Tons of things. I mean, there's just a, a tons of options. Uh, that's, that's that one. My you, kids you thought know, they were little fun. baby kettlebells. They were doing kettlebell <laughs> swings and shit. It was pretty nice, funny. nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, I have some badass ideas, man. We're going to build some really, really cool stuff. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I could just say I don't, I don't really care. I mean, you know, like one of the, you used a belt squat before, right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna, yeah. uh, I'm working on prototyping one right now. I have actually about 10 prototypes. I just haven't had the time, energy to focus. I, I kind of like almost don't want it to grow too fast because like I'm still fighting. Mm-hmm. It's something I want to work on after fighting. And uh, uh, but basically, we're doing a belt squat that you can walk with. So it's just going to have wheels and you just walk around anywhere oh. with it. And you could sort of. Um, you know, even like, you know, clinch with someone or whatever, which, I mean, you can do tons of things like that with the West Side uh, belt squat they already have, and there is other belt squats that can do similar things. But yeah, the West Side one, they were telling me you could hit pads with it. For you sure. You could have somebody on the platform. Which with I do. You, and you yeah. do that? Yeah. yeah, which I do. Yeah. I love yeah. that thing. Just yeah. the way it loads up your hips like yeah. that. And just, it seems. And one, one of the things I think you'd, you'd probably really like, um, we're going to build. Um, and they have one at Westside. You may have seen it when you went there, the force treadmill. Yes. That's just the one at Westside. I mean, it's just a, a basic treadmill. Like a, if you buy one off like Woodway or whatever, they're like 3000 4000 I think even like five or $6,000. I'm going to build one and you can sell for like five, 600 bucks. Mm. You know, like you just put it in your garage, whatever. It, like you don't need to buy a $5,000 Woodway treadmill. Right. Why did you decide to start out with hammers and wheelbarrows? Well, the hammers I wanted for myself. Um, is that something you use all the time? Absolutely. It's my, probably my favorite exercise. I mean, of course, there, every exercise is a tool, right? And, right. you know, you don't use a, a socket wrench on a screw, right? So, you know, we have a – there's a, a million different exercises that we do for MMA. Everybody asks me, what do you do? Like, you name it, I'll probably do it, right? Uh, my favorite – hammers are probably my favorite thing, though. 
Um, if there's, if I just had to pick one thing and say, this is what you need to do. Um, I mean, the dynamic strength it builds is, is insane. The explosiveness, the core strength, the shoulder strength, the grip strength. When did you start doing this? Um, four or five years ago. Because I remember, yeah. you know, back in the day, George Foreman used to chop wood. Yeah. And I remember thinking, yeah. like, why Marciano? are they chopping? Yeah, I was like, why are they chopping wood? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Marciano it's, was legendary for doing it. Yeah. No, not legendary. I mean, he's legendary for other things. Right. Famous he did a for, lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we actually built a 45 and a 50 pound hammer too, which uh, became a really good door stopper. <laughs> too <laughs> but, heavy? Yeah, uh, so we maxed out it. We stopped at 35, but if anybody ever would want one, we can still get build one of those for Francis. I know, right? I'd like to see him do it, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you just think about the way it, you know, the, the, the hammer swings and everything, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. There's a lot of different exercises you can do with them. I mean, they're just, I think they're the most amazing tool there is for, uh, for MMA. I've never used person. one. Really? Yeah. Even like you... a Home Depot sledgehammer or nothing? Nope. No never shit. swung them. No. Dude, so, I mean, it'll build your endurance up right away. Uh, but one thing that I love about the endurance part of it is you'll sit there and swing it, and like your body's going to. Like when your body gets so tired, as long as you have decent techniques, your body will get so tired, you can still keep going though. Like, cause it's a lot of momentum, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But you can keep going with the momentum. Right. Yeah. So, no matter how tired you are. Now, you sent me some, so I'll yeah. start doing it here. What size tire should I get? Uh, a tractor tire? Yeah. Fucking, what do you get? Yeah, just tractor tire. Yeah. Where do you get one of those? Um, I know, I just go to the, uh, you could use a regular tire, whatever. Like, I go to the, like the, uh, you can get them for free. Usually they'll give them to you because they just burn them. Oh, okay. You know, so they, like have, to, or they have to like dispose of them. Like a like tire a shop. Ju- tire yeah. shop? Yeah, junk tire shop, yeah. I'll go to a tire shop. Yeah. Give me a big-ass tire, bitch. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I mean, sometimes like they, they might give you like a regular um, uh, tire also, mm-hmm. you know, and you just like bolt it together, you know, drill a hole and bolt two of them together and you got it. Right. You can do that way too. But the, Is that what you do? You put stack them? I, that's what I, um, if a, I've had to do that before where the tire shop wouldn't, didn't have a big tractor tire and, and I just get sick of looking for one. Sometimes right. they're hard to find. Like farmers will have them. I don't know about California. They could be completely different out here. So, you know, I mean, you can buy like off Rogue or whatever. They have things that you hit with the hammers, you know. Oh, but, really? Rogue has so things like, other than a tire? Yeah, they have an actual. So, like, they, if you ever seen the CrossFit Games, like they do the the game, uh, I don't know, game, whatever it is, CrossFit competition thing. The, it's like a big piece of rubber, and then and they have to move it from like one side to the other, like okay. ten yards or something. Right. They have to hit it with the hammer. Oh, yeah. Oh, and so, okay. but their hammer, so it's like Rogue makes a, a hammer. Oh, there it is. So it's like a big hunk of rubber. Yeah, yeah. Those are great. And oh, okay. So like Rogue makes a hammer, right? That's adjustable weight too. Mm-hmm. But there's you unbolt it and pour BBs into it. Oh, my! Like, this is ridiculous, right? <laughs> <laughs> like who's who's actually going to do that? And they have fucking BBs everywhere, all this kind of shit. Right. So that's why you know I was like. Uh, you know, I go to Westside. I have a fucking Dave Hoff is there, three hundred. Uh, uh, you know, the strongest man in history. I'm like, if he's going to swing a hammer, it's not going to be a fucking sixteen pound hammer. He'll do that with his, you know, one handed. Right. So you know, so I wanted to build something anybody could use. And then the wheelbarrow. You know, we had to put where it can hold. I, I've had over a thousand pounds on it at Westside. Jesus. You know, I can't lift a thousand pounds on it, but. Um, we put over a thousand pounds on there. We have different handles. So that's what I changed. So Louis was just one handle, right? So we have D handles, right? So you can grip it like this, do like a clean press, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, we have, um, like a turn into like a prowler, you know, so it's got handles coming up, things like that. And you just do laps with it. You just uh, you do laps. I mean, like I say, you use like a prowler, you can do, uh, mm-hmm. cleans, 
uh, overhead presses. I mean, there's a million different things you can do with it. So when you're slamming, when you're doing a hammer workout and you're slamming a tire, mm-hmm. like where are you feeling it most? Your back? Your legs? You know, uh, everywhere? Yeah, uh, usually not the legs so much. Um, you know, the, that's more just you're just kind of stabilizing with your legs. But a lot of times, it uh, depends on your weakness too, right? Some mm-hmm. people feel it more in their shoulders. Um, I usually feel it more in my grip. Mm. You know, because but there's a few different ways you can do it too. So, like if I want to feel it more in my grip, I'll do a slam where I try to stop it. Oh, okay. Right. So you at know, at the very end, at the very end, as soon as it hits, because the tire is going to bounce it back, right. and I'll try to stop it. Um, but a lot of times I feel it more in the core, right? Um, and sometimes I do like you know over the head like this, boom, you know, right. and bring it down that way and feel it way more in the core. Do you ever try to swing it sideways? Yeah, I'm I'm not a, uh, quite as fond on that. I, I just uh, it gets a little dangerous and right. I think you kind of which I I personally I would do it like I wouldn't recommend other people do it unless they've been swinging hammers for a while. Right. I right. remember um, um, I've just seen people uh, do stupid things. Now, what other kind of shit do you do for strength and conditioning? You name it. That's, that's what I was going to say. You know, I mean, we follow the West Side Conjugate System, so it's really you know things change all the time. Um, I mean, you know, it depends on if it's general, specific. So. I, I always add in a third one. There's, you know, there's GPP, general physical preparation. There's SPP, which is specific physical preparation. And then I add in personally my own, which is a RSPP, which is what I call like the hammers. Like the wheelbarrow would be more, the war, I would call it the war wagon, is more uh, general, right? So it's just going to build general strength. It's going to bring your endurance up, your max capacity up, things like that. The, uh, you know, getting on the mats and, you know, doing 20 double legs, that's SPP, like very specific, right? Um, the Something like a hammer or maybe a lot of uh, band type stuff, uh, like maybe shooting double legs with a band on or something. I call that RSPP, which is like replicated specific uh, physical preparation. So, you know, I, I could break down all three of these and just go on forever. I mean, with when you're in the GPP, you're going to, again, like build up your max capacity. You're going to build up your strength. You want to build up your bone density, your ligament strength, your tendon strength. Um, you have, of course, like any weaknesses, uh, I'm big on the neck, back, and posterior chain, right? The, they say the front's for show, the back's for go. So, we're Have you ever used an iron neck? Oh, yeah. Yep, we use it all the time. Yep. I love that fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, I love that thing. Yeah. Isn't that thing amazing? Yeah, what a yep. genius invention. I know, right? I think it's really uncomfortable, but... Yeah, I got one of those <laughs> out of here. Yeah, nice. I love it. Yeah, nice. yeah I, I like it. I don't. I got it, one at home, too. To be honest, yeah. I, I think clinching does more than anything else, man, mm-hmm. for for neck strength. Like, I'm, right. my, my neck just gets more sore doing that than anything else. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that's... Uh, using... Uh, my my friends uh, at Westside they do a lot where they'll put a band on the war wagon and then carry it at the same time. Oh wow! So it's pulling the neck while you're oh, and like you have that. to walk, so it's like a very dynamic workout at the same time. So your grips giving out, your traps start giving out. What kind of harness are they putting on their head? Just like a you know the leather like one of those neck things, boxer yeah, 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 type yeah. thing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and uh, you know just with a chain and then uh, wow. a band, and so you're having to hold this while you're walking it makes it much more Ooh. dynamic. So Ooh, I like that. They come up with some crazy shit there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you go to the Iron Neck Instagram page, they do a lot of crazy shit with the Iron Neck on. Like a lot of medicine ball shit, a lot of slams while you're... You know, you're pulled back, so you're on nice. full full uh, resistance with the band. You're moving your head, and you're rotating, slamming the ball to the nice, right and the left. Nice. Things along those lines. I'll have to check that out. I've never checked out yeah. their Instagram. But I, I try to stay off exercises. Instagram, personally. But Why do you do that? Man, for one, Instagram, to me, is the most mindless thing in the world. Right? Just looking at pictures, it's just pictures over, and over, and over 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 and over
half the time you don't even read the the uh, breakdown the captions yeah, yeah. Um, so to me it's it's really social media is first off is pretty dumbed down like read a fucking book right and then you, now you have something that's not even uh, you know it's not even writing like it's right. just pictures like you know like the the old, the people that are like oh does that book have any pictures well I'm not going to read it or something you know so to me and and I also I, I'm a big believer that the uh, and you know what goes in your brain in your mind what you let in needs to be very controlled you need to be very specific and 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 careful about what you let in mm. and you never know what you're going to come across on there so it could be something toxic that uh could be bad right so, especially if you're reading comments right absolutely yeah it gets yeah. way worse yeah which and you know i use it uh i mean i'm on there a lot but you know i use it uh i like to um i remember back in the day when i was uh coming up and um, you know, I it, I would dream of, of talking to a, a UFC fighter, right? So, right, so right. I, I use it to interact with my fans, right? Because I want to give uh, some kids that experience. Right. I think right. it's a very powerful tool for that. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's a powerful thing for a young guy coming up. You mm-hmm. know, to be able to talk to Matt Brown and you actually respond to him and say good luck. You're like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I probably do it maybe even more than I should. Like, I mean, I. I I answer like complete questions sometimes, you know, like people ask me the, the wildest questions, you know, and, um, I, I'll, I'll give them complete responses, but, and I find that 90% of the time they're like, Oh, cool, man. I'm glad you responded. And then they forget about it most likely. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, but you know, if I can touch just a few people, man, I mean, that's really what the, the whole thing's about. Do you have a YouTube channel? No, but I probably will. That's maybe a good move for you because you've got so much information in your head. Like just talking to you before the podcast, you're rattling off these different training modalities and different mm-hmm. recovery methods and techniques and shit like that. I was yeah. like, Matt Brown's got a lot of information in his head. Yeah, I'm not dumb. I might be a savage, but I, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. it's I funny get, how people think those things are mutually exclusive. Absolutely. You yeah. Know, like if you're if you're a savage, you got to be stupid. Absolutely. And my thing is. My savageness, I approach all things with that savage intent, right? So when I, like, if I'm into a book, like, I'm, I'm reading a, a badass book right now. and What is it? Uh, Anti-Fragile. What is that? Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the author, but uh, it's on my Kindle. And uh, so if you think of the, the, there's no term, there's no definition of fragility or anti-fragile. Right. So... He came up with this term. He wrote the book, uh, The Black Swan, also. And, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Taleb. Yeah. Oh, I've heard of that guy. He has a very interesting way of writing. And uh, so I'm, uh, he really digs deep into this concept of anti-fragility, where um, it's not necessarily robustness or things like it's, God, I hate it. Cause I hate trying to re-explain because I butcher shit. I feel mm-hmm. like I don't give it justice, but... Um, you know, I'm only like halfway through the book, but like I said, I've really attacked it like with that savage sort of a, a mindset, right? But um, it's a very, very long book. Well, it's basically, you know, like like our, um, you know, he makes the case that uh, fragility is, uh, you know, good, right? And it creates anti-fragility. He makes the case that uh, um, anti-fragility is good, right? And not necessarily... 
Like I say, I feel like I'm just butchering it, man. Just read the book. <laughs> it's a fucking but, what good it, book. but when he says about when you're saying fragility, do you mean fragility in terms of your mindset? In terms of just in terms. Of, so, so he's an economic guy. Uh huh. Um, so he's really. I think he. I think what he's getting at. Again, I'm only half like halfway through the book, but I think really what he's getting at is more economic and political. Is kind of his uh, long-term thing, but he uses a lot of examples. Uh, and basically, it, it, uh, from what I've gathered so far, it's basically like how stress induces uh, a stress response, which in, right. which induces strength, and right. which which is uh, the closest thing I would say is to anti-fragility is strength, right? Right. And how anti-fragility would make the world a better place more or less and so as, as a response to stress like, like training basically. exactly yeah. yeah and i mean he even uses that example you mm. know how how we tear our muscles down to build them up that's the entire purpose yeah yeah so that's um again i'm only halfway through man i, I don't want to butcher it you know? yeah no but i know, what, I know it's a what you're fucking saying. great book but I, like i said i i mean it's a long long very long book and it's sort of uh um, he kind of digs into all these different subjects on it, even though it's really like he could probably sum it up in about a quarter of the book. But, you know, I was just saying, you know, I just attack it like that, man. I just, you know, um, like, for instance, Super Training. You, you, ever, you know this book, right? I've heard of it. I, re- I haven't read it, though. Uh, well, it's the, the most, probably the most difficult to read book I've ever read. And I've read it probably four or five times now. What's so difficult about it? Um, it's just ultra, ultra scientific, and it's written by Mel Siff and um, Vergashansky, who is the inventor of plyometrics, or the, the founder mm. of plyometrics in the Russians. And uh, Mel Siff is a biomechanical engineer, and the two of them came together, and you know, this super training is basically like the Bible of, um, of strength and conditioning books altogether. Right? It's, it's the original strength and conditioning book. Um, I mean, there's also like science and practice of... Uh, strength training there's a uh, science of sports training there's a lot of really good books but super training is like the just the pioneer the the premier book right and it's all very very scientific and a lot of the times man i'll have to read the same paragraph like four times you know and I've, I've read the book like four times and and i still i'm going through the paragraph like what the fuck man what is he talking <laughs> about this son of a bitch so anyway, so like the you know the point is like I just attack it like that, right. man, you know, and uh, um, I think there's uh, other things. I, I think a lot of people, um, again, like it's all about inspiring others, right? And I think a lot of people could learn a lot from that, and that's what I try to do in my fights. I try to inspire people. I want my kids to be that way. I want, um, I want. I think it could bring the world up that way, man. People find something they want and attack it like a goddamn savage. Well, when people see someone that does really go for it, it does inspire them to go for it, too. They see the excitement in it. And they see the response that other people have to that excitement. And it just it just makes them want to up their own life performance in, in a lot of various ways, you know, not just uh, in fighting, but they might want to up their performance from watching you fight in whatever the fuck they're doing in life. Mm-hmm. And that's to me, that means more than anything else. Um, that's what a, a lot of people talk about the meaning of life. I, I think I got it figured out. I mean, I think the meaning of life is to give. I think that's, if you look in, in nature, I know you're a big nature buff. I mean, that's what everything exists in nature to do. That's what a, that's what a tree grows fruit to give more fruit, right? That this, this is the uh, natural process of the world. And humans, the human animal has become uh, too analytical to figure that out. Right. We think the meaning of life is all these other things because we think about other things. But really, our our entire purpose is to give. Hmm. 
I think there's a lot of purposes in life, but I think that is one of them for sure. I think giving is definitely, it gives you a, a sense of meaning. And when you help other people, you feel better. You know, that's one thing that I think people are missing out on. They think that it should be all about themselves. And I'm just about succeeding and getting by on my own. Well, even what you just said, um, you know, gives you a sense of meaning yeah. or uh, makes you feel better. Yeah. So you brought it back to yourself, right? Right. And that's, that's what... I think it's human nature and that's easy, but um, I try to get past that where mm-hmm. where it's not about me. It's not about how I feel about it. It's, it's about just giving, um, you know, I, I'm completely um, selfless. That's a great way to look at it. The way I describe it that way, though, is to enlighten people to this idea that I think people, not enlighten people, but just express my own perspective that I think people spend too much time thinking about what benefits them and that they don't recognize that the more you benefit other people, that is really what benefits not just those other people, but you as well. And that they think of like helping people like, yeah, it'd be good to help people, but that's going to fuck me up because then I'm going to spend less time on my own self. But it's not really the case. You actually enhance your own experience in life by helping other people. As we were talking about before the podcast, right? The abundance mentality. Yes. And that is uh, specifically the abundance mentality. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a gigantic believer in generosity, in abundance mentality, and I'm, I, I'm a f- fucking ferocious opponent of famine thinking. I think mm-hmm. that famine mentality, it fucks people up so hard. You get closed up. You get, you know, ultra protective. You get ultra. I just think that's a terrible way to live your life. Mm-hmm. And you, you're living li- your life with fear. And the hard part is implementing it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can see you talk about it all day. Like, I don't give enough to, ch- yeah. you know what I mean? I don't give enough away. That's for sure. I've thought about sometimes, like, I think about the crazy shit sometimes. And I was like, like. I think the ultimate, like, like, coolest thing in life. So I have to have money, like, for my kids, unfortunately, right? Uh, not unfortunate, but... Right. Um, just necessity. Yeah, necessity. Yeah. Like, that's what the money is about. I feel like if I didn't have kids, I would just give literally every dime away, start from bottom, and see how many times... Because, you know, so there's, like, certain uh, uh, qualities in people that they're going to succeed no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to see, like, if I have those qualities. Right, so I want to give everything away. Well, I'll, I'll fix that right now. You definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, you can do whatever the fuck you want in this life, but I, I feel like uh, a guy like you, in particular, especially right now when you're on this uh, this fighting journey and you're still on it, I think you, what you give the most is through the best possible performance that you give. And when you have these wild, crazy performances like the Diego Sanchez fight. That shit inspires the fuck out of people. I mean, That's how many people watched that fight and and just wanted to go run mountains and just get mm. crazy? It's just... Man, that's, that's cool you bring that up because, I mean, I never even thought of it that way. Like, I, I always see it, again, I always bring it back to myself, and I see it as an expression of my own art You're a public myself. performer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're not just an athlete, you're not just a fighter, but you're also a public performer and an inspirational figure. Mm. And when you are doing your best... That gives a lot to people. I mean, nice. this, how many people have watched great athletic performances and it's given them the fuel and the inspiration to do great things in their own life? Man, that's cool you say that, yeah, because, uh, man, that might inspire me to fight a little longer, you know? <laughs> well, you were ready to retire after the yeah. D- 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 Diego fight. That was supposed yeah. to be your swan song. Yep, yep. What, what, was it just too sweet? No, no, no. It, wasn't, it had nothing to do with the performance, actually. Uh, 
this is you know, so I think when we started the podcast, I was kind of talking about the why and the how a little mm-hmm. bit, right? And this is where I think I got a little confused. Was I? I think. Um, I mean, for one, I, I was I was questioning a lot of things. I got knocked out by Cowboy viciously. Um, the worst not, I've never been knocked out in my life. I mean, and it, was, well, it wasn't too long after I just got dropped hard by Ellenberger, which was the first time in my life had ever been dropped in sparring or anything. I'd never uh, been dropped. Um, so I started just kind of questioning, you know, what uh, what am I doing? Okay, well, how? And the first thing I went to was how do I not make that happen again? Um, so that gets very exhausting when you just like how 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 right right and i think through the diego camp because uh, again i announced the retirement long you know very early in the camp like 12 weeks out or something like that through the camp i man, um everything went so well I, I i focused more on my own mind and and a lot of these things we're talking about and i started uh getting back into the why and i started uh bringing a lot more clarity to that side of things now i know why i'm doing what i'm doing i feel much more comfortable and now it doesn't matter on the performance anymore now it's about truly going out there and performing the best that i can and then the second part of the whole thing is that um you know, I was very scared of retirement. I was very, very uh, nervous to be thinking, like, what am I going to do? You right. know, like, how am I going to feed my, my kids? And um, fortunately, um, now, you know, I, I was able to – I realized once I announced it and then after the fight, I mean, just a plethora of, of, of opportunities. And uh, Muscle Farm's probably been my best opportunity, and that's why, um, you know, I, I, I bring them up a lot, you know, because they, they've helped me so much and – and I think we're going to do uh, amazing things there, whether I retire or not. And I, I think it's going to be a big, beautiful thing. Um, what do you do but, for them specifically? Um, so I'm kind of tasked with uh, building the fight team and bringing um, the athletes and, and communicating with athletes and um, you know just making it a, a solid program there. Um, whether I'm the coach or not, it doesn't even matter. But you know, I want to make a, a a great program and make sure that you know the facilities being used properly and bring in different athletes. And um, that'll be uh, kind of the first step. And then beyond that, I mean, the opportunities are endless. I can do a lot of different things with it. So, what was the thought process that was it immediately after the Diego Sanchez fight? Because I talked to you in Denver mm-hmm. uh, um, when when you came to my show at the Belco. I called you up. We were talking, and you said, ah, "I'm not really sure. I'm done." And I was like, what's going well, on, that man? Was, so I don't remember the exact date of that, but that was probably, you know, um, you know, I said the retirement. And then again, like the camp just started uh, going amazing. And again, the why came back, man. Like right. I, I knew why I was doing what I was doing. Like I was enjoying my time at the gym again. I was when in, weren't you enjoying it? Um, I've, There's been a lot of times. I mean, what do you think? You, you know, my man, I've been around and I've had a, a lot of different uh, coaches and that's my that's my biggest if i had a regret in my career is that i i wasn't as loyal to one sort of system as i should have been i and i i have a term for it now called the unicorn fallacy where uh, you're constantly chasing the unicorn that doesn't exist right I'm, or uh some people i've heard other people call it like the greener grass syndrome you know the grass isn't always greener on their side right um and that would if i had a a complaint about myself or if you want to call it a regret like that's my problem like i'm always like dude i just i just need to go over here and i'll get better because i'm always searching that how right Mm -hmm. and i forgot the why so um you know so again you know uh this is is i think a lot of fighters probably also go through this where where i mean it's hard what we do there's a lot of pressure on our shoulders there's a lot of um 
um, especially with a family. I got three kids, you know, right. it's like, I mean, I got knocked out in front of my three kids. Like they were at the fight, you know what I mean? Like, right. like I had a, uh, I think they were, I don't even remember <laughs> because I was fucking knocked out, you know, right, like, right. like I don't remember anything until I was waking up at the hospital, you know, and Dwayne was sitting there, you know what I mean? So like, I, I mean, looking back, like I don't even remember all this stuff. And, uh, it's funny cause I seen videos like, you know, them raising Cowboys hand. Uh, like, I don't even remember seeing that. Like I'm. Uh, somebody told me that, you know, we were talking backstage. I seen a video, I should say, of us talking backstage. I don't remember none of that. Right. So things like that, uh, you know, it makes you start questioning, like, dude, it's like, is this shit worth it? You know? Right, right. I mean, um, you know, and, and just a lot of internal struggles, right? Um, and again, you know, the, the camp I had with Diego, man, everything, just all the pieces fell into place. And I was like, dude, if I can do this every time, like, I could do this for a long time and I could smash a lot of people. So that's where you're at right now. Yeah. So you were reinvigorated. Reinvigorated. That's interesting. So this long career, so many great fights, and you still you're still like finding to your be place. Honest, I think I'm fucking hungrier than I ever was. Wow. Man, I I was like because of like a lot of stuff we're talking about today, it just wasn't clear. You know what I mean? It was just a, a scatterbrain. Like again, it was all about the how. You know, right. like I was, I was, I think I was like, uh, kind of hyper focused on that. Like, how do I get stronger? How do I get faster? How do I uh, throw a better punch? How do I, you know, analyze this guy and how do I beat him? And, you know, it's just constant how, and then you forget, like, why are you doing this anyway? Right. You know, so, and, and then, I mean, it, like I said, it's just a, it's not an easy sport anyway. I mean, it's probably the hardest sport that's ever existed. <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything harder. Yeah. I, I, would, I can't imagine what's harder other than yeah. actual war. <laughs> yeah right i mean right, maybe right. police officer fireman actual war mm. uh fucking trauma surgeon even them i mean you know? i mean it's harder in different ways right? yeah harder in different ways yeah. yeah it's one of the most pressure-filled athletic opportunities that a, a person can ever be involved in yeah and now what sorry go ahead i was gonna say you know the the hard thing is uh this is all i've done i've i've I got, I'm all in, you know, from the beginning. Like, I never gave myself an out. And I think that's important to do also. Um, a lot of the guys that have outs, I mean, I watch Shark Tank all the time, and you see, you know, these guys, if they have an out, then yeah. the, you know, Kevin O'Leary or whatever is like, yeah. like you know, fuck you. I'm not, it's I'm like, not yeah, you. rich kids don't yeah. grow up to be world championship fighters. Except for BJ Penn. Yeah, right? <laughs> He's just a fucking animal. But he, yeah. he grew up in Hawaii. Hawaii is a different place. Like you're stuck on an island with a bunch of motherfuckers who want to kick your ass. Like <laughs> it's do or die in Hawaii. Right, right, right. Hawaii is a underappreciated place for tough motherfuckers. You know, yeah, I have to go there. My wife wants to go. Never there. been. Bad. I love. I went it. there once. Yeah. I'd live there. I was in like Waikiki the whole time. Though. I'd live on the Big Island. Yeah. Fuck yeah, I yeah. could live there. Yeah. You you would get an island. What nope. do they call it? Island sick. Or nope. So. If I did, I get in a plane. <laughs> people are awesome there man it's just a different more relaxed more um i don't know they're just more chill they say costa rica is the place to go costa rica is pretty yeah. badass they say it's the uh, best place to retire yeah that's what i've heard because it's like a thousand dollars a month you can live well or something yeah mel gibson's yeah. got a fat spread there he's telling me he's got like nice. 500 acres down there nice that was a cool podcast with mel gibson he's an interesting cat huh yeah. <laughs> here's my impression of mel gibson he just kept what? clicking the fucking pen. The pen? <laughs> he was uh, he just kept clicking the pen, and uh, I was, I didn't want to say anything. I was like, "What do I say? <laughs> Stop clicking the pen, Mel." I was, I was interested. I wanted to hear like 
I kind of want to hear you interview him a little bit. It was like all the stem cell guy, huh? Well, he wanted to come on and talk about stem cells. That's really what he wanted to talk about. Yeah. And so I honored that. I said, all right, man. All right. You know, that's what you want to talk about. You think he's your biggest guest you've ever had? He's uh, pretty fucking famous. Him or James Hetfield? He's pretty fucking famous, too. I mean, I don't know. They're up there. Who else? Alex Jones? <laughs> <laughs> He's the biggest. I love Alex the Jones. The most downloads. Alex beat everybody by a really? fuckload. Yeah, man. It was interesting. So uh, here's my theory on Alex Jones. Uh-oh. Just if you want to go there. Okay. I love going there. So I think he's a government plot. He's not. I'll tell you that for sure. I've known him forever. I've known Alex since 1998. He's not a government plot. He he couldn't tell you because you would tell everybody. He's not. I've hung out with that guy. I get high with him. (laughs) Drunk with him. He's a fun dude. He is a guy who started out uh, as a guy who was against the president. He was against George W. Bush. When W. Bush, I don't even think he was, he was running for president at the time, right? Or was he? When was it? When did Bush become? No, Clinton was president. Yeah, Clinton was president. George W. was the governor of Texas. And okay. he was getting arrested for protesting against them, protesting against the global elitists and all these different all things. Right, right. He ha- didn't really become a supporter of any form of government until Trump. I mean, Trump is like the first guy, and he may or may not be getting played by Trump, where, you know, Trump's his buddy. And I mean, <laughs> right. Trump is a. He's a slick guy in terms of how he uh, cultivates he's a, influence. He's an anomaly for sure. Right? So he's, yeah. he's an interesting character yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, if it wasn't if, okay, so shoot someone, down my theory though, completely. Let me. It's just a theory. I'm not. Okay. I'm, I don't promulgate it as, as fact or anything. Okay. But I've always thought that Alex Jones was was built by the government to make conspiracy theorists look like loons. He didn't used to make them look like loons. Really? He, no, no. He was much more... Uh, I mean, much it started more, with 9-11, though, right? No. No, Alex he was, was around he was way the, before 9-11. Well, but, I mean, he started with Waco. But that's when he came to prominence, right? Because like, he was the first to, to no, kind of... No, even before then, man. You know, I mean... But nobody cared about him before he then. He was on right? AM radio before then. Right. But he's been around forever. Right. I mean, like I said, I met him well, in I'm 98. Well, I'm wrong, then. I met him in 98, so it was several years before 2001. And uh, he was doing the same shit back then. Nice. I mean, he's right. always been around doing that. Right. He's, he's right about a lot of shit, and that's what's so confusing. <laughs> right. Like, he is absolutely right about what they call agent provocateurs, where the government will send in people if they have a peaceful protest it's very inconvenient for them like the wto he did this whole video about how the wto was that in vancouver or seattle where was the wto i forget where it was why do i want it was somewhere in the pacific northwest i'm confused but i'm not confused about the story so what (laughs) happened was they had these peaceful protests against the world trade organization and uh it was very inconvenient because all these world leaders were coming to this this area for this Mm -hmm. meeting and they sent in government agents that were dressed with black black ski masks and a government issue boots and these people started smashing windows and lighting things on fire they turned into a violent protest which enabled the police to close in and shut down the protest the wto protest where did it say alex jones police state to the takeover seattle yeah, it was Seattle. Okay. okay. So they, this is, but this is a real tactic that governments 
and intelligence agencies use. They have a peaceful protest, and then they have these people like they, these guys dressed in black ski masks. They start tipping over newspaper stands. Oh, like it doesn't even make any sense. Like so why this are they doing this? Confirm that they're yeah. they're government yeah. agents. Meanwhile, they, these guys have government issue boots. No, it goes further. So these guys all. Um, they all got together at the end, and they were cordoned off into a building, and then they were ultimately released. They were never charged. They were never arrested. No I mean, shit. the whole thing is incredibly fascinating. And uh, some of them have been identified as government agents, and Alex oh, can wow. get way more into detail so about it. That's why um, you know I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so to speak. Um, but the one thing I, I always say is, I don't put anything past our government. There's right? absolutely been conspiracies that are real. For sure. For absolutely. sure. Yeah. Whether it's the Gulf of Tonkin incident, yeah. whether it's Operation Northwoods, there's been, and there's, I'm sure there's been a bunch that we don't know about. I believe that the government assassinated, or somebody assassinated JFK. I don't think it was Lee Harvey Oswald acting nah. alone. I think it's very possible Lee Harvey Oswald was a part of it, but I know too much about bullets. To think that that fucking bullet went through two people and wound up on Connolly's gurney in the hospital looking nice, pristine. Man. Cut the shit. That's all. <laughs> I don't think that's real at all. Nice, nice. I, I, I've seen the Zapruder yeah. film. I, I've, I've read uh, several books on the story. I just I think it's very convenient to lump all that into one guy with one bullet. I think it's horseshit. And nice. I think they probably killed him. All right. Dum, yeah. dum, dum. See, I always, I always look into it a little bit. You know, and then I'm like, you know what? Like, the government probably did this shit, whatever. And they probably like did a lot of yeah. shit. They probably did a lot of shit that we don't know about, that yeah. we're not aware of. Yeah. But this is how governments work. They've always worked like that. This is how yeah. intelligence agencies I'd say the, work. The uh, smart criminals go to politics, the dumb criminals go to jail. Yeah. You know? Right. But, There's a lot of that. There's definitely <laughs> a lot of that. I mean, or, or you know, the most criminally insane people in this world are attracted to politics. I think yeah. what's going to fix human beings, and this is a radical idea, but I, I, like I really it. think the same thing that's going to fix human beings is what is, in a lot of ways, disrupting the standards of our culture right now and the, with the internet. I think technology is going to fix human beings because I think really? what technology is going to do is eventually there's going to be a way to absolutely detect whether or not someone's telling the truth. <laughs> I think it's inevitable. I think as we uh, find out, fuck up a lot of people's it's lives. It's going to fuck up a lot of people's <laughs> lives, and it's going to enhance most of our lives. And I think yeah. people like you and people like me who tell the truth, mm. it's going to be very good for you, because I think there's. I think when you lie, it doesn't just fuck up the person that you're lying to. I think it fucks you up. I think it fucks up discourse. It fucks up culture. I think it fucks up human beings. It fucks up our communities. It's just hmm. it's a it's a an anomaly. It's a thing that people have been able to figure out how to do, where you've been able to say things that aren't accurate to convince someone of a reality that doesn't exist. I guess where where I think it gets hard though is the politi politicians specifically are so good at not really lying, but like you know they're right on that gray area mm -hmm. where they don't they're not really lying to you, but they're not. That's but well, that's also because you can lie. So you'll go like a guy like Trump, right. who's been busted lying a million mm -hmm. times and still is in Which office. Probably every president. Yes, yeah. for sure. I don't, th I don't think he's, for sure. Obama's I don't think been he's busted lying too. I, yeah. say, I don't think he's unique in that. No. And that's well, he's unique in his propensity for it. I mean, he loves it. He's a good. I mean, he's been lying forever. But I think that without a doubt, 
there is going to be a time in the future, whether it's in our lifetimes or after, where they develop technology that's going to absolutely allow you to detect whether or not someone's telling the truth. That's intense. Yeah, I think you it's going to be the future. Yeah. And I think when that happens, he, people are just not going to accept all the shit that we've accepted for so many years. They could be an app on the phone. <laughs> I, think it's gonna be, I think it's probably going to be something that you wear in your body. I think we're real close to that. I think we're real close to embedded chips that you wear in your body. And I think those chips are probably going to interface wirelessly and you're just going to be able to read thoughts and ideas that come from people that are going to mm -hmm. come in probably a new language. I think we're going to be able to develop a universal language. Like don't a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of religious people say it's the mark of the beast, right? Oh, that's... Isn't that like a birthmark or some shit? Like, uh, what, what do the religious people think? Like a chip inside I know, well, your body? So I, I was raised in an ultra-religious uh, thing, oh, yeah? environment, right? My mom was, it was extremely religious. And did I, they I talk in tongues? Um, they probably thought they did or something. No, <laughs> <laughs> no they, um, you know, they're very fundamental. Um, you know, my, my brother could uh, go way deeper into what they were about. I never even paid attention. But, but I remember them talking about... Uh, like the mark, the mark of, the of the beast, beast. and they're like, it's going to be something implanted in you, and if, if you take it, then you're going to hell, and if you don't mm. take it, you know, or something like that, and maybe they're just planning I mean, ahead. They want to keep lying. We got to keep plan. <laughs> we got to plan ahead. But these chips are coming. They were certainly lying to me, but <laughs> I think there's going to be a language, a universal language, they figure out how to teach to children. I'd and be that, fascinated. Starting with children. Because children learn languages yeah. very easily, and if they develop a universal language that is somehow or another either translated through computers, because, you know, they have a thing now, these Google earbuds that you use with a Pixel 2 phone. So if you were talking to me in Spanish, I would hear the translation of what you said in English in yep. my ears. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. When yeah. I saw that, I was like, how is nobody noticing that this is step one? This is step one mm. of a universal language. Yeah, yeah. The translation like to English is fascinating, but I think ultimately we're going to be able to figure out how to communicate with everybody with a new language. And this, new, this, is, this is not hard to – I mean, it's obviously not easy, but it's not impossible to develop a new language, like a universal language that's accepted by everybody. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I used to. Uh, I have a Brazilian friend that comes up uh, uh, to my house sometimes, and we put the Google uh, Translate thing just right in between us, mm. and you can talk, and it detects which language and wow, and, and says it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. So man. it knows which language. Like it'll know who's talking mm -hmm. without even you don't have earphones or nothing. It'll just say it out loud. <sighs> yeah, that's amazing. It's not. I mean, it's not one hundred percent accurate. Sometimes you have to. So play I. Around, but. I think this is one step. And then I think the next step is going to be some sort of a way to detect whether or not people are lying. And then another step is going to be more enhanced communication. And then another step after that is going to be some sort of telekinetic or te some sort of uh, communication without verbalizing, without words. Oh, fuck. I think that's all what, that's coming. I'll just be out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all do your thing. Yeah. I'm gonna hang out out here. <laughs> it might be the best way to live. I mean, that's how I want to live. I mean, my my wife is a more of a city person. Sort of. I mean, got to get a weekend spot in Evergreen or something, dude. I want to. Yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to do a thing with uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Denver work. Oh the, yeah, the Navy yeah. SEAL. He's doing like a campfire thing. I'm supposed to do that next. I was just weeks, chatting yeah. with him yeah. yesterday. We were texting each other yeah. about the campfire thing. No, he's about he's going to come on and do the podcast whenever he's in town. We're just oh, trying cool. to figure out a time. Yeah, I was texting with him on uh, Twitter. He's doing. I guess it's called like a campfire session. So mm -hmm. 
you go out there and hang out at this campfire and he just tells stories. And, yeah. yeah. He's a fascinating his... guy. He's been on my friend Steve's television show, uh, Meat Eater. Okay. He's been on I've that. Seen that. Yeah. yeah. yeah He's a fascinating, intense guy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to bring my kids, but I don't you know. Is he... He's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could bring your kids, but I think uh, anytime you could get a place where you get away, where you can get to nature, just see the real stars at night and have a campfire. It's just reinvigorating. It's just great for you. Man, have you, did you see the eclipse? Did you? Uh, no. You didn't do I that I looked thing? a little bit in my backyard, but I almost burned my eyes. So <laughs> I don't have the right goggles. I tried to put two sunglasses on. I was like, that don't work. That was like the probably the, the <laughs> deepest nature. Well, my wife, her family's up in Vermont, so we get some pretty deep nature up there. Oh, but But we were up in this place in Wyoming where... I mean, there was a million people there that weekend, but I don't think, you know, there's probably not a, a hundred people within, you know, a hundred miles. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and, uh, man, that was the first time I ever looked up in the sky and could see the Milky Way, though. Oh, you know what you got to do? Go to, if you go to Hawaii, you got to plan it for when there's no moon and go to the Keck Observatory. There's Shit. the Keck Observatory on the Big Island. Fuck, man. Because... The Big Island is designed, they, they have the lighting system, yeah, it's darker, but they have the lighting system designed in the Big Island to have diffused lighting on the street lamps. What that means is that the light doesn't disperse into Damn. the sky. Yeah. And so when you go up to the Keck Observatory, man, you see everything. It blew me away. I saw it. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Like legitimately what it looks Fuck. like. Like you go up there and you look up and you're like, holy shit. Because it's so high. I think it's 13,000 feet above sea level. Oh, wow. And you go up there and... Um, I didn't know they had mountains that big. Oh, there. yeah, they do and on the Big Island. The Big Island has... It's like a different world. They have a bunch of different ecosystems up there. They have a rainforest. They have a desert. They have mountain ranges. They have lava. But it's, it changed my life, and I'm not bullshitting. It's like a psychedelic experience. Dude. When I went up there and saw the stars like that, I was like, oh, I don't even... I don't even I mean, if there's something to make you feel like a tiny fucking speck, yeah, you feel right. like you're on a you feel like you're on a spaceship. You feel like you're God. on a spaceship flying through that's the universe. How I felt, that's how I felt when I was in Wyoming. Yeah, it just you. I mean, in that that eclipse obviously blew me right. away too. You don't realize how many stars are up there and how much our streetlights are fucking us over mm -hmm. because it's changing the way you view the cosmos itself. It's changing your relationship that you have with infinity, mm. with the universe. I mean, it's changing it because it's dulling our perceptions by limiting all of this spectacular light and these stars that we, the, Mil the Milky Way, like this whole thing, there's a reason why it gives you this sense of awe. Like it, it's a perspective enhancer. It gives you this view of something that's impossibly beautiful and also impossibly huge and it just yeah. puts it all in perspective i think i mean one of the reasons like, why people are so cocky in cities they're just <laughs> they're, right. they're missing that they're missing this re this reality check and the weird part is like that's small yeah right mean, shit like this is actually the milky way is like a small galaxy right yeah it's nothing yeah it's one of hundreds of billions of galaxies yeah, yeah. in the known universe yeah, and there's yeah. not aliens, eh? Well, I was talking, and I did Neil deGrasse Tyson's TV show a couple of days ago, and he was telling me that it's the most likely scenario is that we live in multiverses, and that our universe, which is impossibly large, is one of an infinite number of universes that are all in these, like, bubbles. Can so, you uh, explain that? Like, nope. 
<laughs> <laughs> he said it to me, and I was like, "Wait, what? Like, is this? I mean, you kind of got these images word, of what right? it looks like." Googled it, and this is images that pop up. You kind of, yeah. kind of got to just trust him on that one, right? Yeah, well, whenever he says something, I kind of got to just trust I mean. him. You're like, you're the expert, bro. Anytime I talk to astrophysicists, I just try to probe as much as possible and just trust them. Yeah, yeah, you can't argue with them about it. Right? But the idea is that. Like how we have a planet and the planet's part of a solar system and the solar system is a part of a galaxy and the galaxy is a part of the universe. The universe is a part of a multiverse. And that it's just is there's a fractal nature to it all, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And the idea that's multiverse is that there's infinite number of different universes. Now, did he say that's uh, you know, theoretically the most likely, or that's there's some sort of evidence, or there's some some reason to believe it outside? Because my biggest thing is we have all these theories for all this shit. Yeah. You know, Big Bang, God, whatever. Uh, you know, however far the universe is. But uh, can our minds really even wrap around what you know the reality probably actually is? Our minds may not even be able to uh, to conceive the reality of this. You know, what I mean, we, we right. may not. It may not. It may be beyond our imagination. Well, yeah, our imagination is kind of limited to the things that we're supposed to be experiencing. What we're here, you yeah. know, we could abstractly think about things outside of that. But even when someone says to you like a hundred billion stars, you're like, wow, it's a lot. But you, that number's not even getting in my head, even after I've said it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know what that means. What does that yeah, even yeah. mean? That they say there's more stars than uh, grains of sand yeah. on the earth. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what blows me away. Yeah. I mean, you just look at a jar of sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are giant balls of fire, maybe a, more than a million times bigger than earth, just floating in the sky. So we could see at the, at the eclipse, they had a little observatory, like all the colleges and stuff were, were there where we were at, and you could see... Um, you come back in like 10 minutes like, and every 10 minutes come back and look through this one telescope and you can see a star going around a star. Wow. That was fucking cool. Yeah, I read something yesterday that Pluto is so far away that when the time they discovered it in 1930, it still hasn't made a complete orbit around the sun. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> How long does it take to orbit? I don't know. Probably a long time. Long fucking time. So, it is, uh, the funniest part is the kids are sitting there and they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Um, can we get some fucking marshmallows or what? Yeah. <laughs> some s'mores. I need to play video games. <laughs> Pluto's unusual orbit takes 248 Earth years for Pluto to complete one orbit around the sun. Its nice. orbital path doesn't lie in the same plane as the eight planets, but is inclined at an angle of 17 degrees. And it's not even a planet anymore. Hmm. Woo! Yeah, mind fucker. There it goes. How about Elon Musk? That crazy asshole mm-hmm. shot a fucking Tesla up into space yesterday with a mannequin on board singing a David oh, Bowie song. Oh, there was a people on board? No, a mannequin. Oh, I thought there was no, real was people. No, a dude sitting in a Tesla roadster that's uh, like a mannequin. Like, it looks like a dude. And he's there. That's what live. it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Is this the, the yeah. live right now? You can see it? Yeah, that song's on a billion time loop. It's going to play for a billion, Wait, a billion what's years. Wait a minute. How is it this possible? Space? How does he have the battery to, for the song to keep playing? He's got some sun energy. He's lying. He's lying. The guy's lying. Out, These batteries run out of. They go. You go 248 miles. That car runs out of gas. <laughs> sure, Wait, I thought, um, dude, I thought he sent actual the, fucking rockets. Yeah, 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 there was an actual rocket, and a Tesla Roadster with a mannequin in it was attached to the rocket. Uh, so at the very apex of this rocket, as you know, the, these multi-stage rockets, they pop this bitch out, and it goes flying through space. He shot a fucking car into space. <laughs> like, imagine aliens coming to Earth, and they, and this is like the first thing they found. They go, what the fuck is this? Is that a person? No. A circuit no, board. It's like, <laughs> there's like the richest, craziest guy 
uh, one of the richest, craziest guys on earth, one of the smartest guys, he just launches cars into space for a goof. <laughs> They're like, these people are assholes. You see a lot of rich people that maybe Take, yeah, they just, just want to get richer. Picture. They just want to get richer or something, right? Like, this that's dude's, funny, yeah. how much money is he blowing on this shit? That's, it's just made on earth by humans. Yeah, I think he blew $100 million to do this. <sighs> Click on that link of the, the image of the Tesla with the earth behind it. Okay. Yeah. It's CGI, bro. The earth is flat, man. I mean, that is just, what a crazy image. Dude, I want to hear, uh, I, I never talked to Eddie about that. I want to hear his real theory on that. Eddie Bravo? Yeah. Don't talk to him about it. Dude, I want to hear it. It'll change the way you think. It's got to change now. There's a whole video no. of this going from no. the bottom to no, the top. No, it doesn't. It's not based in reality, it's man. Well. It's not based in logic or reason. It's based so in. So he has no logic behind it? <sighs> he wants to think the earth's flat. He's like, you don't know. He doesn't trust science. Doesn't trust scientists, doesn't trust anybody. I, I mean, I get that, but yeah. you got to have some logic still to back it up, right? <laughs> you know what? One of the things that makes Eddie so good at jiu-jitsu is he has an idea to get a move on you, and he's fucking completely locked on that idea, and everything that's trying to <laughs> shut that down is just like he needs to come up with a defense for that. He's going to find a way. That's how he looks at ideas as well. Okay. So if he has an idea that the earth is flat or that there's lizard people that live under the ground— <laughs> Like, it's I'll like you got to prove, too? I don't know, you got to prove that that's not real to him. Okay. And if you can't prove that that's not real, and you say, well, look at these pictures. Oh, that's bullshit. They, this, they fake it. <laughs> they fake the moon landing six times. Yeah, you got to give me more than go. that. I wanted to hear his uh, actual argument, but Sit I didn't down know. With it was him. Like, Sit down yeah. with him. I'll film it. I, I wanted to. I'll turn the camera on and I'll leave the room. I went to his gym My a couple weeks ago, and I, I'd always heard that he, he talks a lot at his gym or kind of goes on about different Conspiracies. things like that. Yeah. yeah. And I was totally prepared. I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> let's go hear it. And uh, I, he didn't do anything. He didn't barely even talk. We just rolled the whole time. He's probably happy you were there. He wanted to show you some jiu-jitsu. <laughs> like he's a jiu-jitsu wizard. You he know? did. He showed me some good jiu-jitsu. He just, uh, he I did. like his system. It's an it's an intense system. Not and you know the the moves I only know so much, but the uh, the concept of what do we do at ninety nine percent of jujitsu classes? You go practice uh, some new technique you probably never did before, and then you start rolling, and then you roll. Yeah. And his the when we went there, we you know we drilled, drilled, drilled. And this reminded me much more of like a wrestling style yes. practice, and I liked it a lot. Yeah. In that terms. Well, that's why he that's why he designed it that way. He's a real jujitsu genius. He really is. Yeah. You know, I mean the the conspiracy thing. I think he just enjoys it. He he loves them. <laughs> he loves it. He loves. It. He's always sending me crazy shit. I'm he afraid I'll them. love it too much. Like once I actually have the time. Mm. It's a giant distraction. If you think Instagram is. is a distraction, go go try well, to. That's the problem. I mean, you can't like you, you, there's no website. Maybe there should be where you can just go on and say, okay, this is what this side believes about it. This is what this side believes about right. it, and you make up your own mind. You gotta dig through fucking info wars every time. <laughs> <laughs> and of yeah. course like if you if you try to tell someone like, dude it's true I said it on info wars they're like okay right you're full of shit there's no. a few websites like that right like the daily yeah. mail you the read it on mail. the daily mail and you're like get the fuck like the radar or something like that there's a bunch of them yeah. there's a bunch of weird ones matt yeah. brown i gotta wrap this up i gotta get the fuck uh, out of here but listen man i appreciate your time yeah, i appreciate anytime. you being here it's a pleasure it's yeah. an honor when are you fighting carlos condit April 14th. Ooh, April 14th, motherfuckers. Tune in. Um, and it's I am the immortal on Instagram, right? Yeah. And what? what's your Twitter? Same. Same. All right. Same. I am the immortal. And then uh, immortalcombatequipment.co. Thanks, brother. It's a yep. pleasure. All right. Thank you.
Thanks, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. And thank you to our sponsors. Thanks to Square Cash, the easiest way for you to send and receive cash money, motherfuckers. And now you can buy and sell Bitcoin. Woo! Download the free Square Cash app in the App Store for Apple or Google Play. And uh, use the code word Joe Rogan, one word. And the Cash App gives you five bucks, and five bucks goes to our good friend Justin Wren's Fight for the Forgotten Charity to Build Wells in the Congo. Uh, and again, as I've said, we've raised thousands of dollars so far for this. It's just amazing. We're going to change a lot of people's lives with this. It's, it's so cool to be a part of. And thank you also to Blue Apron. Yummy, delicious food sent to your door in a cooler, perfectly portioned with step-by-step photographic instructions and delicious interesting meals that you can cook yourself in under 45 minutes so easy to follow these step-by-step instructions and just fresh fantastic super high quality food and you that's right you you motherfucker dun 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 you can get 30 bucks off your first order if you visit blueapron.com forward slash Rogan. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off at blueapron.com forward slash Rogan. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Ooh. And then we're also brought to you by Onnit. Go to O N N I T. Use the code word ROGAN and save 10% off any and all supplements. Okay. That's it for everybody. Uh, That's not it for everybody. That's it for today, everybody. Uh, Appreciate you people. And uh, we will be back tomorrow with my great friend, Duncan Trussell. I'm very excited to talk to Duncan. I love the shit out of that dude. That's tomorrow. And uh, that's it for now. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.